Hello and welcome to the Mature Gamer Podcast, the home of the older, wiser gamer. I'm Kev, and with me as ever we have Steve and AD. Say hello, boys. Hello. Boys. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I tried so hard not to crack the joke. Everybody it. I know, and I managed to get you to do it. That's everyone but me has now done that awful, terrible, ridiculous gag. Damn it. Congratulations, Steve. Coming up on this week's show, we've got the results of the first week voting of our best game of all time competition yeah. including steve getting very very sad we're going to talk a little bit about some wonderful games it's quite a playstation heavy week we've got lots of playstation news playstation games etc um, we'll talk a little bit about some of our online game sessions that we have coming up and also a little special guest from the forum but first the news <laughs> So, the news, and as promised, it's all it seems to all be PlayStation stuff this week. It's all over the place, starting with the fact that their credit rating has been downgraded, and it seems they need to sell lots of Vitas, or else it's going to cause lots of problems for them. Kaz Hirai, there you go. I said his name after we... Researched it was, for a good ten minutes. Yeah, exactly, and still can't do it consistently. But he apparently has to save the world, or else we're not going to be playing PlayStations anymore because it will all disappear into the abyss. I like his quote where he says, it's one issue after another. I feel like, holy shit, now what? That's the guy who's running Sony. (laughs) He's just like, fuck, it's all gone to shit. From what I can tell, it's basically a case of they're still selling everything they sell at a loss. They do it with their TVs. They did it with the PS3. That's their business model for the Vita as well. Um, set it at a loss and hope it makes money eventually, which in the current climate seems a tad risky. They're three me. billion down already. Surely they're going to learn their lesson after one billion, not just let it spiral into two and three. Do we need to be worried that we might not be playing PlayStation games in the future, do we think? It's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, Sony are a massive company and it would be virtually unthinkable that they would disappear but i mean how long can you keep making billions and billions of losses it just i don't know it seems very very strange to me that uh, they've allowed themselves to get in this position i mean they must obviously have been making a considerable amount of money at some point so whatever business model they had when they were making an absolute stack load of money they need to get back to but yeah i think i think kazirai's statement there you know it probably actually reflects what most Sony users have been thinking for the last couple of years, or PlayStation users in particular have been thinking in the last couple of years, you know, of like, God, what is going wrong now? You know, <laughs> from the hack to, you know, all of the various weird things and weird decision-making ideas that they've had, you know, stripping the OS, the other OS out of the PlayStation 3, which upset everyone, and the ditching of the backwards compatibility with the PlayStation three to the PS2 as well. It's just been a bit weird, hasn't it? They've, they've yeah. sort of gone a bit mental. I mean, interestingly enough, it seems that the PlayStation division itself is now making money. This Hirai bloke went in there and basically sort of saved it by the looks of it, and that is now making money. It seems to be on their TVs that all the money is now pouring out of Sony. I'm wondering if we could perhaps see a world where PlayStation becomes something separate from Sony, if that's still a money-making enterprise... I imagine someone would buy the rights to it. If they went really badly down the pan, then they could sell the PlayStation name for, say, a billion, two billion or whatever, cut their losses, and someone else just do it. Apple. I was going to say an <laughs> Apple PlayStation. That was exactly where my mind was going, Aiden. Wow. On the subject of strange decisions from Sony as well, they seem to have 
made another one with their decision to remove the UMD passport system from the North American and European releases, which basically means that where in, whereas in Japan you can download copies of your PSP games onto your Vita um, for a nominal fee and be able to play them on your shiny new toy, over here we're basically going to go out and have to buy our games again and pay normal price for them, which seems another odd one to me. I think they're kind of just they're making three billion pounds worth of losses. They just want you to spend money. They don't. They're not thinking about your old copy of a game you love. They want you to just spend more money on them. If if anything that stops you spending money, like holding on to your old games, isn't in their interest at the moment, I imagine. But this is going to stop me spending money because it, what it means is there's only one Vita game that I want to play. So I'm not going to buy a Vita yet. Whereas if I could play Uncharted and have five or six PSP games that I could play as well, it becomes a system that's actually perhaps worth me having. I mean, it's the same as when I first got my PS3. I only had Motorstorm for it, I think, but I had a big stack of PS2 games that I would play on it so that it would be used. I think for the first few months with a console, though, they're only aiming it at people like AD who will buy it on release. But I bought the PS3 on release. I bought the 360 on release. I'm not going to buy this on release because there's only one game I want to play because mm. there's no backwards compatibility. You'll get it eventually, though. I'll get it eventually, yeah. but I won't get it now, which is what they need. I'll get it after they drop the price by <laughs> 50 quid a few months down the line because no one's bought it because of their insane decisions. It definitely is financially motivated. I mean, they if they're going to be selling the Vitas at a loss, then the only way they're going to generate any kind of revenue is through the sale of games for it. And I know what you're saying, that you only want the Uncharted game at the moment, but there are quite a number of other games out there for it which do look quite good. I mean, there's the Mod Nation Racers, that's a release title. There's the Wipeout game, that normally does quite well. And there's Ridge Racer, and there's there's others as well. They, they're not really that bothered about... Me. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they, they just want people... Because if you pick up a new console, the first thing you want to do is have more than one game. You normally want to have two or three at least to be playing with. And usually, even if it's just shovelware or you know pretty average or crappy games that's when they tend to sell because people want to just have something different rather than just the same old game to play and i think what their fear is is that it this similar thing sort of happened with the ps3 when it launched the uptake of games was really slow because a lot of them was you know just ports and not in some cases not very good ports of 360 games and it took a while for that side of things to get going and I think that old Kazzy Baby has learned from that and, and said, right, well, rather than put this backward compatibility in for the UMD disc straight, you know, from the offset and then phase it out over time, they're just going to hit straight away. It's interesting that the PSP up, to, uh, sorry, the PS Vita uptake in Japan was quite slow to start with. And maybe that's why they've decided not to put this backwards compatibility in for the US and European launches because they're just looking at how things have played out in Japan on that launch and, and thought, we need to make money, and we need to make money fast, and this is the best way we can do it. I know I've said, I think I said this the other week as well, though. I don't see why, if these companies are making massive £3 billion losses, I know the, the PlayStation part is turning a bit of a profit, but 
Nintendo, when they make their stuff, they're not going for the maximum, maximum ability of the machine. They're just going for a good machine that does everything they want it to do, and they'll play around with that specification and do the best they can with it. Whereas Sony seems to be pushing and pushing to make it the most cutting-edge thing they can, throwing all the money in the world at it. Then people cut, they're pricing a lot of people out of buying it as a result, and then they're moaning that they're skint. And that they've... But ever since the original PlayStations came out, that's always been Sony's place in the market. They They don't have the the creativity and the novelty value and things that Nintendo can come up with. Maybe they they've always learn. been the most powerful, the best looking, the best sounding. They're reminding me of like a football club like West Ham or Leeds who's just spend loads of money to get into the Champions League and then bang, they're gone. They've ruined it all. <laughs> they're not just doing an Arsenal or a Spurs and building like uh, Nintendo are over a long, long time. I mean, their Wii U is better, like, much better than their Wii. Their next one might, you know, They'll keep going and going. Eventually, they'll get to the point where they made so much money out of the predecessors that they'll be able to go for the cutting-edge one but still do it at a reasonable cost and appeal to everyone. But they're doing it really slowly, whereas Sony just seem to be destroying themselves. Well, the PlayStation wasn't the most powerful in its generation, and the PlayStation 2 wasn't either. I mean, the, the N64 was more powerful than the PlayStation. and But the PlayStation uh, looked prettier and more grown-up, didn't it? It did, yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't the most powerful. Um, and the last generation, both the GameCube and the Xbox were more powerful than the PlayStation, and you can argue over which one looked nicer. I didn't think the original PlayStation looked particularly nice. It looked a bit odd. But it, what really shifted those units was the games and the exclusive games that was on there as well, and that's something they lost with this generation. Microsoft learnt that went out there and said, right, right from the offset, they were snaffling up all of these developers that had made the name on the PlayStation. I mean, companies like Bazaar, for example, they they snapped them up. And what you ultimately ended up with was there'd be more exclusive games on the 360. And that's what why that sold more. It, it, it's all games-driven. It's The technology usually falls by the wayside. I mean, just look how well the Wii did. And that's just essentially a exactly, reboxed yeah. GameCube, isn't it? And that's by far, it's not even high definition. Okay, things tailed off towards the end, but it was they had the games that people wanted to play, and that's why it sold. I mean, it wasn't particularly the games I wanted to play, but yeah. they went for more of a mass market appeal. But Microsoft really did play a blinder in that sense, that they got all of these developers on board, and got the exclusive games and also not just that they also went out and got the dlc exclusive exclusives as well which was something that sony just really seemed to back away from and it's only really in the last couple last year or so that they've started to wake up to the fact that they suffered greatly because of the fact that they allowed microsoft this head start not just in terms of releasing the console but actually getting exclusive games you look at likes of Gears of War, for example, that sells consoles, and Sony really struggled to match that. They had their Resistance game, but it wasn't really until they got Uncharted that they had something that people were genuinely interested in and was genuinely a console shifter. So how do we save Sony, then? If we if we take over Sony tomorrow, how do we make sure we keep Wait. them going? Is it all about the games? Do we go out and buy up a load of developers and make sure we have the best games? Well, like you say the PlayStation division's doing okay. It seems to be the rest of Sony. I think their big problem was when the HD TVs came about. I mean, previously 
you know, certainly sort of dominated the, the television market. They they sort of hit the mid ground between the super expensive and the super cheap. They were affordable but good quality TVs. What happened with the HD TVs is all of a sudden you've got the likes of LG and Samsung. They all just came into the market and really cluttered it and crowded it. And they suddenly Sony suddenly got a hell of a lot more competition from places which in the past they hadn't had before. And you know, they're really the same in their other markets that they had. Like, for example, when they used to have the Walkman and the Disman, they basically cornered that type of the market, but that market's long since disappeared. And now Apple, you know, with the iPod and the iPhone, they're all about the the music now. And Sony haven't really done much in the way of getting involved in that. They sort of went down the, the, the route of being music providers rather than actually making devices for people to listen to music on. I mean, how many people go out and buy hi-fis now? And that was another area that, that Sony was, you know, really big into. You know, most people buy an iPod dock now, don't they? And they, they come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. So the actual key area where Sony as a group made a lot of money has changed quite dramatically. And I think they've been a bit slow to cotton on to that and that seems to be the, the story with Sony each of the departments is very individual looking very solitary and they don't tend to work together as a one big company which I think is something that Kaz Hirai wants to change he wants them to become a more unified company like Apple and Microsoft are that move in, in one or pull in one direction rather than you have these different divisions all pulling in their own little direction and eventually pulling the company apart, which is what's been happening in the last two or three years. I tell you what, AD, you're making us look very professional yeah, with one of the greatest segues <laughs> in the history of podcasting there, because our very next news item is the very exciting news that PlayStation Network is no more, and we now have Sony Entertainment Network, although I have not yet seen any evidence of this for myself, because when I did my PS3 update, it's still called PlayStation Network on there. So I'm guessing that will change properly at some point on a new update the next time I turn it on. But this is unless you have a PSP, in which case PSPs, that is still PlayStation Network, I believe. Yeah. So yet another kick in the teeth for anyone who wants to play on a PSP. Another example of them, I guess, pushing people towards the Vita. I think, again, you can just see that there is a desperation at Sony to get the Vita up and running and get the games being sold on it and get people using the Vita and the marketplace that they provide as well. And like I say, I mean, this, the uh, Sony Entertainment Network is put really there as a plan to, to unify the products in the same way that the iStore unifies um, all of Apple products. So I think it's a step in the right direction, but it, like you say, it's a bit annoying. One thing Apple don't do is they don't say, right, well, if you've got a, a Generation 1 iPod Touch, you can't buy anything off the iStore or iTunes store, should I say. So mm. it does seem a very strange thing. I think when you start alienating one of your products, you could be asking for a bit of trouble there because you're also going to alienate your customers as well rather than encourage them to move over by Apple's method, which is, okay, you know, if the iPad 3 comes out this year, it'll be more powerful. So you'll start to see a slow 
introduction of a number of apps which only work on the iPad 3, you've still got the whole rest of the store which you can use for buying stuff or downloading stuff on your iPad, but you, you can slowly see there's going to be a shift and a more focus towards it. So it's like a, a gentle migration towards the iPad 3 rather than what Sony are doing is they're sort of like drawing a line under it and saying, bang, right, that's it. If you want to be current and you want to be downloading stuff that's, you know, good and the latest stuff, you can have to ditch your PSP and go for the PS Vita, which is a bit putting pressure on consumers at exactly the wrong time to do it. See, I can understand them wanting to unify everything under one brand, Apple style, like you say, but the way they've done it, it almost seems backwards to me because I, PlayStation, I would suggest, is their most recognisable brand and they're effectively dropping that name and bringing it all under the Sony umbrella, which would be similar to Apple ditching iTunes and calling it the Apple Music Store or something. It, it's, it just seems unusual to take a step away from a division of Sony which is profitable, well-known, has a good reputation, and sort of almost ditching the name entirely and moving on to something else. I don't see why the PlayStation name couldn't have worked across the board for an, an app store for their TV and things like that as well, maybe. Just looking on their website um, at the moment, it's saying that they are planning on running it across, like AD kind of said, like Apple are, they're running across all their range, they're planning on doing it with tablets, a personal 3D head-mounted display viewer, which sounds like some sort of holodeck style thing. It sounds like they couldn't really put PlayStation in all of that because if you if you were using a tablet or something like that that was not for gaming and you had Play on it, you know it's, it, it makes it sound less professional. You're not going to get people taking their Sony tablet to work. I buy books a, from iTunes. If they call it a Play tablet, <laughs> you're not going to sit there in your conference in your big company with your Play tablet in your hand, are you? But if it's called a Sony tablet, um, mm. it makes a bit of a difference. And we were wondering whether they might be going down a kind of route where instead of having another console, maybe on PlayStation 5, they might just start doing boxes that do a bit of everything, won't we? We would say like mm. Apple TV and Google TV, maybe they'll do... Well, that was rumoured even before the PS3 that it would be built into their TVs, but it just it seems like a crazy step for a console maker to go down if they remove the actual physical hardware and make it so that you basically have to buy a new tv just to play their console if i had to buy a microsoft tv and a nintendo tv and a sony tv well i haven't got room for free tvs <laughs> in my lounge so i could it, it it would seem a very very strange step they'd have to be very confident that they were massively better than the competition it would to be, be amazing to, to try route. So, uh, it would be amazing to see because you'd know it would be perfect for the console then That'd be my plus, but as you say, you need three, so it'd be really odd. <laughs> right, last bit of PlayStation news before we move on then, and this is a nice, exciting one. After all that grumpy moaning that we've just had for however long that's gone on for, some excitement and something to look forward to on the PS3. God of War 4, has it officially been announced yet, or is it rumoured to be announced very soon? I think we've got, there's a date drifting around there somewhere. It started off as a rumour on Twitter that um, a company mentioned by mistake that, that it was coming out soon. And then a PlayStation magazine said that they have heard that it's coming out in September 2012. So even though it seems quite soon, that's what everyone seems to be working towards online at the moment. Which is all very exciting stuff. I need to pull my finger out and get God of War 3 played, I suppose. 
God of War yeah, one. It's awesome. <laughs> it's bizarre because God of War one and two, I played. I never played them on the PS2. I waited until I got my PS3 and then bought those games to play on that. So I'm a bit odd when it comes to games. I like to play them years after they come out. So I'll get around to playing God of War three eventually, probably just in time to play God of War four in about two years' time. Um, but another thing I noticed on this article as well, which doesn't really interest me, but Steve got semi excited about it. The same people also outed the existence of Little Big Planet Cartoon. I was about to say the same. I brought it up, remembering, thinking he won't remember to say this. Yeah. But... I'm not really interested at all. I'd love, I'd much prefer that to say Little Big Planet Three because I've loved the Little Big Planet games, and I don't want to just play as Sony's version of Mario Kart, which is, I assume, what this is going to be. I was going to say, why are they really doing it? Although someone else said they've also got Mod Nation Racers, so why are they bothering? Yeah. Um, I guess they are trying to just get into the Mario Kart. They're crowd trying to make Sackboy their mascot, I suppose. Keep pushing. Yeah. That's forward. good though. That, that's, I was going to say that's one thing they've lacked. Yeah, I suppose, but I, I can't imagine. It's going to be as good as the little Big Planet games were, and I just hope it doesn't harm that brand putting out what could be a not particularly great game and possibly harming the chances of us ever getting a third one, which is something that I would be very, very excited about. If it was announced tomorrow, PlayStation 4 was coming out with little Big Planet 3 on it, that's my decision made. I'm buying a PlayStation 4 on release day. Well, one of the great things about little Big Planet was your ability to make your own stuff in it. But they, I mean, they've been back in Mod Nation races, and that's the same thing. Mm. So that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Why not? Why not bring Little Big Planet into Mod Nation races and just have the one game? It, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. <laughs> they're gonna, they're gonna kind of do almost what Microsoft did with Project Gotham Racing. You know, they had these two huge racing franchises to begin with with Forza and Project Gotham Racing, and then eventually they killed off one of the franchises that they had, simply because they put, you know, all the resources, obviously, in my opinion, went into one in terms of promotion, which was Forza, and Project Gotham sort of died a bit of a death, which was unfortunate, because that was a great, great racing game. It makes me wonder, obviously, with the whole Sackboy as mascot, thing is this perhaps going to be a game targeted at kids rather than something that's perhaps for everyone to play it does look quite childish in the pictures i mean i know that a little big planet has a lot of blocks and things mm. but this i mean there's a picture of it looks like they're on carts going across a little brick, if anything brick castle. if anything this could be yet another indication that the playstation 4 is imminent because that seemed to be the direction they always took as they get towards the end of a console life cycle it becomes the cheap toy. one that you put in the kids bedroom so perhaps this is the first step towards the ps3 becoming something that i can put in my daughter's bedroom and she can get barbie games and all that kind of nonsense on and sit playing those while i have my shiny new ps4 downstairs that i can shoot stuff in the face on nice now forgetting all that sony stuff now moving on to something really exciting as part of the skyrim creation kit being released on steam there has been a Portal 2 Skyrim mod. Now this, to me, is almost worth going out and buying Skyrim again on the PC for, just because the whole idea of it excites me very much. They're two of my most favourite games of this generation. That The prospect of them being combined in any way just makes me weak at the knees. It sounds like an amazing combination. I think more companies should just get together and do that with all of their games. It's amazing, it's brilliant. 
it upsets me greatly because I don't have a PC capable of running either of these games. Um, <laughs> Neither do I, so, to be fair. So yeah, it's it's testing my resolve. It, it, you know that that Alienware thing that they released for seven hundred quid is now starting to look considerably more attractive, <laughs> even though I don't want it. Yeah. It's starting to talk to me now because. Yeah, I seriously would love that. And, you know, it's like with the Left 4 Dead games, you see some of the mods that have been created on YouTube for it, for the, on the PC, and some of them, you know, some of them are just daft, like, you know, the Cookie Monster sound effects and stuff like that. Um, but some of them are really, really good. And it's the one thing I was always disappointed with with Microsoft is they don't allow any kind of modification to games on Xbox Live. Sony do, but unfortunately, I think it was only Unreal Three. Was it Unreal Tournament Three that anybody did anything with? <laughs> Which is kind of sad, but uh, yeah, that that does sound absolutely awesome. I mean, if it's something that I guess it's something the developers themselves have done rather than it being a community mod. So we could always cross our fingers that something could happen with it being released as part of a future update for Skyrim or as part of a DLC at some point, maybe. It's bound to, isn't it, come out? If it's popular online, they're not going to just refuse to make money off of it on the consoles. No, no. We shall see. But I would would very much (laughs) like to play that, definitely. Something else that would be awesome and would very much excite me. It's only a few screenshots I've seen, but they're such beautiful screenshots. And it basically confirms in my mind that I have to be buying an iPad Pre this year. Looking at the screenshots for Mass Effect Infiltrator on iOS, it looks like a proper game. When you showed me the picture, I didn't think it was for the iPad. I just didn't. It doesn't look anything like (laughs) it should be for the iPad. It looks like a PC game or a console game and... That's all I really have to say because it's just there is yeah. only pictures of it, but it's impressive. Yeah, I'm certain it won't work on my iPad. I can't even get Infinity Blade to run on mine without it crashing. So I assume this just won't work on a first generation iPad. But when I get my shiny new one, and this is a shiny new game to have on it, it'll be 500 quid well spent on one little five pound app. But yeah, it is it only good. a five as well? Oh, well, I imagine it would oh. be. You don't pay much more than a fiver for anything on the App Store, it do you? Value for money, then definitely. I'd like to think so. My only concern about it is that it's a third-person shooter set in the Mass Effect universe, mm-hmm. and it's another step towards Mass Effect becoming a shooting game rather than an RPG. And again, it opens up little bits of concerns that I've got that possibly Mass Effect Three isn't going to be quite what I'm expecting and hoping for. I, w- I wouldn't be too worried. I mean, they, they're going to do something like a Mass Effect Lite for the iOS. They're not going to go out there and make the full-blown game because well, I don't. Even, I don't think it would. It wouldn't be a feasible download anyway. You'd be measuring it in mm. a huge number of gigs, so they're going to be doing something which is going to be a trimmed-down version. And the the most impactful and easiest way they can do that is by essentially doing a Mass Effect light whereby they're going to cut back all the RPG stuff because that's the, all the background mechanics for that is what takes up all the space and everything. So I couldn't believe when I was playing Dead Space, I thought that was awesome. And that, that runs really well on my iPad and that looks and plays fantastic. I You know, one thing I just don't understand why they haven't, what they haven't done yet, Apple, is make a proper controller add-on for the iPad because the one drawback i i have with it is i'm not really clever with the touchscreen controls when they try and map um 
a D-pad to the touch screen because you don't actually get the feel of the D-pad in your, on your thumb. You know, it, it becomes a lot more difficult and a lot more faffing around to control. And I think that it's only a matter of... T- I know you can buy these things you can stick on there, which, yeah. but I don't like the idea of something being stuck on the screen because I don't want to damage the screen in any way. But there's got to be... I think what could really be a market changer, if with the iPad 3 they have an add-on device, whether they decide to slap a USB port on it or whatever, and you can plug a genuine controller into it that that integrates properly with the device, then there's no reason why it can't become a more serious games machine, because it certainly seems to have... Well, I mean, like the current iPads seem to have the horsepower to be able to put across some really impressive graphics and with a much more powerful iPad, which I assume the iPad 3 will be, that could really be a game changer in terms of what happens with the next generation of games consoles as well. This is why I'm very, very eager to for OnLive to hurry up and get their iPad app running properly so you can play games on it because yeah. they have the actual joypad, the OnLive joypad, will, in theory, connect to that by Bluetooth, and the iPad just becomes a monitor for playing games on. I am looking forward to the day where I can sit there playing Assassin's Creed 3 on my iPad when I'm supposed to be working using an actual joypad. It's going to be superb. That is that is awesome, because, you know, with the ability as well, to, if you could connect your iPad to the TV... Yeah. So it, it's like just having a, dev- a one device that covers absolutely everything. If they If they can make that happen... Then that is seriously going to be that. That will be where I think OnLive will will seriously take off if they do that, because you don't need any bulkiness with it, do you? Because it it just no. it just streams straight to the device. So if they can pull that off, that's I think that will be a big game changer. I think that is where OnLive could potentially seriously damage the marketplace for the 360 and PS3. They just need the games. When they you were, do. <laughs> when you were saying about the iPad 3 running through a telly and everything, I've just been reading quickly online that um, they're expecting the rumoured resolution of an iPad 3 is uh, 2048 by 1536. So that means a, a proper 1080 HD picture is smaller than the screen for the iPad 3. So That is awesome. Massively bigger than the ones we've got now. <laughs> that is phenomenal resolution. That's like what Japan has for their TVs. So with that teaming up with an Apple TV and on live, am I going to be able to have my controller Bluetoothed it, Bluetoothing itself into my iPad and then my iPad streaming into my Apple TV so that I'm playing proper HD games yeah. on my big TV? That's how it sounds. Wow. And it will look more impressive than these consoles do now by the sounds of it. Wow. I yeah. that. It sounds amazing, especially considering how slim it is and how... And then if I want to go to bed, I just turn the TV off and take the iPad upstairs, still playing the same game. Still stroking with it my like joy you do. Pad. Wow. Yeah, exactly. What a world that's going to be. And you can take it around to your mate's house, plug it into their TV, and off you go. None <laughs> of this arsing about with, you know, lugging hefty consoles around. It'll all be just done on the tablet. Magic. This is an exciting world. The only thing missing into. for you now is an app so that you can play in your sleep and then you'll just be <laughs> sick and never have to leave it. That would be brilliant. Yeah, I'd love that. Right, moving on to this week's new releases, boys and girls. You can, If you listen really carefully, you can hear AD's excitement because he's eager to get out and buy his new games because he hasn't had his new game fix yet this we week. We are holding him up. He's, he wanted to do it. 
at half eight this morning and he had to wait for us to record. Yeah. So, so he's I was awake at six. I was ready to go at six o'clock this morning. So AD sat there with his shoes and coat on ready to, as soon as we finish recording, he's racing out to probably buy all of these games because that's just what AD does. But new releases this week. Let's see how excited we are about them. The Darkness 2 coming out on 360, PS3 and PC. I'm excited. I like I am. the demo. I'm very excited. Love the first game, thought it was awesome, and I love the demo to this one. I like the graphical style that they've gone down. Yeah, this is this is the one. This is the main game I'm, I'm going to be going out for to get. I think I'll enjoy it more once I don't get ill playing it. But um, <laughs> I just think the adverts bug me a bit because they don't look anything like... I know that everyone exaggerates how their game looks in adverts, but they've really done it. They've made it look so polished, and it's, it doesn't look as polished to me when you actually play it. I mean, I, I still think it's a good game. It seems like a good laugh. I mean, you've got tentacles, for God's sakes, as well as guns. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> it is going to be a laugh. Um, is it multiplayer as well as just the story can you play it online against other people battle your technicals out and ad will know the answer yes yes but i hope they've improved it because the original darkness that was the one thing that was a real big letdown was the actual online was a bit crappy so i I obviously with the demo never got chance to play it so i don't know how good it is but it should be there it should be okay I don't tend to play games online unless they're what I would consider to be games that are designed around playing online. Mm. Stuff like Battlefield and FIFA and Forza I will play online. Bioshock 2, one of my favourite games, never played it online. So I I can't imagine the online is going to be important in any way, shape or form to me on the Darkness 2. But I'm really looking forward to just grabbing people by the legs, splitting them in half down the middle while shooting them in the face. That sounds good. I, I agree with you. Adam. It's not a game that I consider to play actually play online. The interesting thing with the Bioshock 2 is they actually had a completely different team of people develop the online element to that. So, you know, it, it actually is a quite a, quite a different gameplay and experience in a similar way they did with Medal of Honor. You know, they, they even used a different engine for the online element to that to try to separate the two the two games because one gameplay didn't necessarily run into the other which is kind of a bit surprising in medal of honor because you'd have thought it had just been a call of duty type thing but yeah i I, it's not the online element to this is something i'm not that interested in i love the story from the first game thought it was awesome and i just want to carry on that story because i thought it was great here here forward to it also out today, we have Kingdoms of... How do you say it? Kingdoms of Amalur? Amalur. Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, also out on 360, PS3 and PC. Another game that I really want. There's oh, two top games thing. out this week. I would buy it now if it wasn't for the fact that I've not finished Skyrim and Mass Effect is on the horizon. I mean, it's over, we are now, at the time of recording, four days away from Mass Effect 3 Demo Day. Okay. So I just won't have time to play this game. So I'll pick it up in a summer on the cheap and play it then. But from the demo, it's one of the best demos I've played. It was so big and so much to do. And it just, it was, it felt like I was playing an RPG, but with really good combat in it. Mm. So I'm excited. And AD's obviously buying this too. I am. Well, in fact, <laughs> I'm not buying it today, but I did order <gasps> on Amazon this morning. So it'll be probably here with, by Monday, Tuesday next week. Well, I wanted to give myself some time to play The Darkness too, because what will happen is, I'd get the both today, and then it'd be like, 
swapping between the two, and then I'd never get either one of them done. So <laughs> I've, I'm just trying to pace myself. Plus the fact I've still got a pile of shame that I haven't even touched yet that are still in the wrappers. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just getting a bit daft because, you know, there's that. Then I'll have the Kingdoms of Amalor next week, and then the week after is the Vita, isn't it? So it's... <laughs> It's just all getting a bit silly. <laughs> Even I need to be sensible at the moment, which is saying something. Bloody hell. Yeah. yeah. Talking of a bit silly, Catherine is out this week as well on 360 and PS3. She looks bizarre. It looks rock hard yeah. and mental and crazy, and I really want it. Frank Coverford is a, a woman undoing her bra with people and monkeys, I think, falling out of it. It just, <laughs> that sums it up, I think, looking at the content. It is mental. It's about a guy whose missus has proposed and he goes a bit mad over it. It just sounds insane. Will you be getting it, eighty? No. Not because I don't especially want it. I am interested in, in playing the game because, like you say, it sounds mental, it looks mental, and it's, if it's half as mental as the likes of, you know, Katamari, then it'd be well worth checking out. But, no, I've been... I've been banned from playing this game in case it turns me into some sort of weird deviant person. <laughs> it has been known to happen to you in the past, hasn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. If those three very exciting games that are all out today weren't enough, and you think, right, well, I've got three games that are really good, but I need I need something even better, something that I've been really looking forward to, can't get anywhere else, your search is over. Grand Slam Tennis 2 is out today as well. So basically just to calm everyone down a bit they said here's a game of tennis yeah, yeah. waste of time yeah we've we've all played tennis on a console before i've played it in a, with a real bat and ball i've seen it live, you've done what um, nonsense <laughs> why is it why does it exist why isn't it virtua tennis and why does it need to come why isn't it coming out during wimbledon apart from anything else mm. that seems a bit odd i don't get why people spend as much as they will on a new game of tennis when as i say you could buy tickets to wimbledon or a bat and ball or racket and ball and uh, or just any of the 400 other tennis games well, yeah tennis all is, the same. it's an odd one as well because with Something like FIFA or Tiger Woods, they do sort of improve them each year. They'll give you, they'll update the teams and the players and they'll add, add new courses and things. And I just can't see what you can add to a tennis game. Virtua Tennis on the Dreamcast was just about perfect for a tennis game. And I don't see what you can do to change it. Will these have like the move, uh, the connect or the move kind of you bat with your arm? Or is it just turn right, turn left, press A, press X, whatever? Well, if you're going to go down the, the route of using connect or move, then just get a real tennis racket. Exactly. Play, play a proper game. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's the most ridiculous thing ever. It's frustrating because half the time it doesn't bloody work properly. It just seems pointless. I, I agree. The virtual tennis, were, they were awesome. Because they had these like fun little mini games in there as well, and the online was always worth a laugh. But when you've got one, you don't really need any others because it's just the same thing, isn't it? Exactly. You'll probably still buy it anyway, won't you? Because it's a no. new game. No. <laughs> I draw. I draw the line. At, I draw the line at playing, paying money for more tennis games. I've got one. That's enough. I'm not a big tennis fan, so. <laughs> That is thirty nine ninety nine. I, I thought I was joking when I said forty pound, but I've had a look in well, game. No, it's quickly. a full price game. I know, but Virtua Tennis Four fifteen pound. Virtua Tennis Four World Tour Edition thirty two pound. Sega Superstars Tennis eighty three pound. I mean, the 
prices are insane for tennis games. You'd think that they'd release it and go, we know it's a bit of a joke. Have it for half price. I'm shocked that they're trying to charge full price for that. It's a joke. <laughs> Steve doesn't know how the games industry works, clearly. Yeah, Sega Superstars <laughs> Tennis, even a fiver. Mario Tennis is, is there for cheaper. Virtua Tennis 3, £12.99. It- yeah, buy that. If you want a tennis game today, go and buy Virtua Tennis 3 for £12.99. That's much better. It is. It's, uh... Mario and Sonic at the London 2012 Olympic Games is out on the 3DS. This is already out on other stuff, isn't it? Uh, it is, yeah. It's on the Wii. I know that because I got it my nephew for Christmas. There we go. My daughter really wants this. I think I might have to go out and buy her a 3DS so that she can play this game. It's another game I just think is utterly pointless. Unless you're racing on it, I can't see what other sports are possibly worth doing. Gymnastics must just be jumping around. Kids love it, though. Kids love Mario. They love Sonic. A. They love... Well, they've been made to love the Olympics by the hype that's been built up to them at the yeah. school. So Maybe that's but, it. I don't give a crap about the Olympics. I've got to go to them because my wife's a big fan. I just couldn't give a crap. I just think it's a waste of time. <laughs> but for a 10-year-old girl, this is the first system-selling piece of software that the 3DS has offered to her. She's, I mean, I before Christmas, I was sort of saying, I mean, what, what do you think about the 3DS? Do you want a 3DS? And she decided she wanted a Kindle instead. But now this game exists. All of a sudden, she doesn't care about Mario Kart. She doesn't care about the Mario 3D game. But Mario and Sonic at the Olympics, she's now decided she wants a 3DS. It sounds to me like a Wii Fit game that you don't do yourself. You just do with the controller, which just seems stupid. (laughs) Well, kids love it. Nintendo know what they're doing yet again. Right, the best game of all time competition is hotting up. It's getting exciting, Steve. We've it's had a bit sad, to be honest with you. No, I'm excited by it because already we've basically achieved what I set out to achieve with it. Everything else is just fun now because of the 30 games that were put up for elimination from it this week, the six that went through, not one of them was even a little bit like Final Fantasy. Yeah, it just shows. I think there's a bit of a bias on the forum, that's all. Well, Final Fantasy VII is not in the top 64 best games of all time. That is official. Official vote. You tried to throw a vote at us when we were originally discussing it, saying, look, it was voted the best game of all time. Well, I'll have you know, sir, that it's been more recently voted, not even in the top 64. I win. The games that did make it through, uh, Sensible World of Soccer, GoldenEye, Halo Combat Evolved, Left for Dead, Gears of War, and then one out of Gran Turismo and SimCity 2000. And we'll have to decide what we're going to do about them because they got the same amount of votes. I wanted SimCity to get through. You voted for them both. Yeah. You moron. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise I'd voted for both of them, and I've created a mess where I'd rather SimCity got forever Gran Turismo because that's about the only one I nominated on that list. I'm quite happy with all of them, though. I mean, Sensible Soccer, Goldeneye. Grand Turismo and SimCity, I've all played, and I like them all. Gears of War, I like. Um, Halo, I played, didn't particularly like it, but I know that it's a massive series, mm. and loads of people love it, so I wouldn't... AD doesn't it like it, though, does he? I love it. <laughs> and you rave <laughs> and about I, it, Ed, so... And I want Grand Turismo to go through, because I don't class SimCity 2000 as being a game anymore. I, I think it's a, a city-building simulator that bores the shit out of me. So I've, the only thing I, good about that is building stuff and then watching it burn. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love playing that just because you just you just whack together your city, you deal with it all. It, it involves thinking and it's just fun. And if it does, if stuff does happen, you have to rebuild it. It's just fun. No, I just like watching it burn. 
And the older ones, you had like you'd be building your city all nicely, and then fifty years in, suddenly Bowser would attack it. And you think, oh, what the fuck, man? Have you built this city? Bowser would attack it. And if he attacked it often enough, you got some sort of Mario Bowser protection building. Mario and Bowser are in Sim City. Not properly. They? It was kind of a little Bowser would walk across the screen, destroying whatever he walked through. And if that happened too much, and you were in the right circumstances, you got a present that was Mario would protect you from monster attacks. But you wow. never saw him. It was just the building would stop it happening, kind of thing. That's exciting. Mm. I might have to like go and play it. this game now. When you when you build your city, you build it up to a certain point. If you've got a lot of schools and a lot of clever people, they give you a uni. If you're really poor, they give you a toxic waste dump and things like that. And that's what I liked about it was you try and build your city, you'd understand reasons why you know you'd end up with shit on your doorstep. Whereas my favourites of these ones are Left 4 Dead and Gears of War. Both involve chainsawing things in half. That's not necessarily my favourite from the list of the whole games. I just really like the SimCity series. I liked GoldenEye a lot. I'd say that's my favourite of those five. Is it five or six? six? Yeah. Best of them six is GoldenEye. Definitely, by far. Twin I have a hatred of SimCity because it birthed the offspring known as The Sims. And I can't stand that anti-game bullshit can't well you can kill people in it but you it ends up being your own character <laughs> uh, i just i just can't, I, yeah i can't abide by it i've never played well, not 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 sim city the sims that type of game that my just daughter loves the sims but i've never played it it's just like tamagotchis isn't it but more in depth really. it's like having a pet human that can <laughs> get a job and do stuff i mean i've played that i got that a couple of months back just someone offered it to me and i thought why not so i played it for about two weeks and yeah it was a laugh but i ended ended up having it on really really fast all the time just watch their lives go by in like half an hour two hours whatever you do the thing where you brick them up in a toilet and let them starve to death (laughs) you're you're just morbid what's wrong (laughs) what's the point in having a game that simulates real life it's like it's like reality tv what is the point in that Definitely. Everybody sits there waiting. Everybody knows that, you know, when it comes to I'm a celebrity, they want a celebrity to be dragged off by the hair by some silverback gorilla and or eaten by a crocodile. That's what everybody's waiting for. They don't give a rat's ass about anything else. They... You just want you want the serial killer in Big Brother or, <laughs> you know, Something like that is make it more interesting. AJ's starting to terrify me. He is a little bit. They should just make a Sims 4 where the characters play the game and you just watch them play it. That would save you a lot of effort. You could just let them make all the decisions while your screen just sits there. They should just have a load of zombies involved and perhaps make it four-player co-op and you have to kill the zombies and then get to the helicopter to escape. (laughs) If they did that, it would be a much better game. Yeah, I I agree there. Maybe they make a game like that, Left for (laughs) Dead or something. Yeah, that sounds much more fun. Yeah. Some of the games that have already been eliminated. Um, this we, whole list sucks, to be honest. We have lost Shenmue, LA Noir, Final Fantasy VII, Football Manager, Boo. and Doom 2. I love all of those games. I mean, LA Noir would be bottom of my list of them because it's new. Uh, it was all right. But Doom 2 was one of the first PC games I ever played. I loved that. That was one of the best shooters ever. Probably one of the first I've ever played obviously. it. Um, Football Manager, I'm shocked that that lost over Sensible Soccer. I know they weren't competing against each other, but Football Manager should be in there. People spend most of their life playing Hundreds of hours every year I pour into Football Manager. Shenmue was one of the most ambitious, highly anticipated games when it came out. Massively impressive. Absolutely amazing. But 
I kind of see how where it was incomplete. I think if they finished the story, we probably wouldn't need to have the debate because the whole story would have been so epic that it would have just eaten the list alive. Thing is, though, you say you don't think any of them should have been knocked out, but apart from you're saying perhaps football manager in for sensible world of soccer, what would you take out of the six that went through to get something like Shenmue yeah. or Doom 2 in? Other than obviously, yeah, I'd take sensible soccer out for football manager, but... It would be hard because I wouldn't feel I could justify taking Halo out because it's so world-renowned as such a big game. Uh, Left 4 Dead's very loved. Gears of War is a massive series. I, I couldn't swap any, any of them. Um, even though, in, for my personal taste, if they were all there and I had to play one, I would go and get Final Fantasy, obviously. I've said that before. Or Football Manager. Or, or Doom. But um, <laughs> but I, wouldn't, I, don't, I can't justify replacing any of them off the list. I know that they're better games and more people play them. Well, some of the ones that we've got up for elimination this week, because we've got the other 30 nominations up this week, so we'll be into the final 64 from next week onwards, and it becomes knockout time. But some of the ones that could go this week, if they don't pick up enough votes, we have Grand Theft Auto 3, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, Portal 2, Halo Reach, Heavy Rain, Skyrim, Borderlands, Shenmue 2, loads more. There's some big names there. there. Only six of them are going to go through. I don't. I don't mind losing Shenmue two and Heavy Rain. Oh, uh, Heavy Rain was awesome. Heavy Rain was awesome, but the problem I have with the game is I, I've played it through once and I completed it, and I know there's different endings, but I can't be asked playing through it again. I've um, never played a game through again for a second time. I've only ever played games once, so that's nothing unusual for me. Yeah. I've never. Grand Theft Auto three is just awesome. Uh, Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time. You need to get that on the 3DS and experience that in lovely 3D. That game is brilliant. I can never Portal get into Zelda two's... games. I have always play a bit of a Zelda game and just think, I can't be arsed with this. I'll play 10 hours and it doesn't doesn't grasp me. I imagine that I need to put a lot more time into them, but they just don't seem very good. I don't see that. Even though that often wins best game of all time on a lot of websites, I don't see it doing very well in our one. Uh, that'd be a shame. Portal 2, definitely. That's got to, that's got to go through because that is awesome. Um, Halo Reach, well, you know my feelings on Halo because I think that is just like the best, well, not the best franchise ever, but certainly Halo Reach is one of the best first-person shooters I've played in a while, and I know there'll be a lot of people don't agree with that, but I don't care. Skyrim is awesome, and Borderlands is awesome. So, yeah, that's why I'd have to pick Heavy Rain and Shenmue. I never played any of the Shenmue games, so if I'm upsetting anyone because they think it's the best game ever, I'm sorry, but I've never played it, so that's why it's on my list. And as I say, Heavy Rain, because as great a game as it is, I don't think I'll ever go back and play it. Or I might do, you know, quite a ways down the line, but once I completed it, that was kind of it. I'd I'd happily knock out Grand Theft Auto 3, Zelda... Halo Reach, Shenmue 2. I'd happily get rid of all of them. Grand Theft Auto games, I've never finished one because I always get stuck and it frustrates me. Um, Zelda, again, I've never finished a Zelda game. They just, I lose interest in them. They're boring. They are boring. Yeah. (laughs) Halo Reach, I played two hours of, as I said last week, and just got bored and confused and angry. And... (laughs) Shenmue 2, because I never finished Shenmue, I never bothered with Shenmue 2, so... I can't see Shenmue 2 beating Shenmue 1, I just no. don't see how it would, but... Skyrim and Borderlands are my two most played console games of this generation, according to Raptor, and Portal 2, as we'll come on to in a little bit, is all kinds of awesome, so those three have to go through, and Heavy Rain I loved as well. 
but I played that in one night. It's the only time I've ever bought a game, finished it on release day, and not yeah. touched it since, but still loved it. Still think it was worth every penny of the 40 quid. Do you think it'll end up being Skyrim versus something like Goldeneye or Halo? I imagine it'll be a brand new game like that that is epic, that everyone's amazed by because it's so big and cutting edge and amazing, and then it'll be something classic like Goldeneye that was so amazing at the time. So I, I'm, I'm going to make an early prediction that I think somehow Skyrim's just going to walk through this because it's so new and everyone loves it. I wouldn't think that would be a particularly bad result no, if it, it did happen anyone. as well. I'd, I'd struggle to pick a game that's better than Skyrim, I think. Hmm. Skyrim's getting ingrained into popular culture as well. If you see on Twitter, you know, people are using, the, you know, I used to do this, but then I took an arrow to the knee type of stuff out there. And the, is it the Fusro Dar thing and all that kind of stuff? It's it's bizarre how quickly that's sort of become ingrained. I think it, Kev calling it rimming has made it catch on a lot more <laughs> as well. <laughs> well, it's the, ob- it's the obvious thing to call it. If I want to play Skyrim, I'm going to do some rimming. It's... <laughs> You know, That's just so so wrong. What would you call it? <laughs> I call it Skyrim. Funnily enough, it's just in my head when I'm having my conversations with myself. What shall I do tonight? I know I'll do some rimming. It's simple. <laughs> there's, there's there's no good that can possibly come out of that last statement you just made <laughs> well i I enjoy rimming, and that's that's. <laughs> <not fun. laughs> Oh, I'm so glad I'm not stuck in the same room as you right now. Sorry, I'm going home in a minute, mate. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, it's snowing again, you're going to be stuck here. Oh, that sounds like the, the, the plot for a Stephen King novel, that does. <laughs> when did Stephen King write about rimming in the snow? Well, no, I mean, I've trapped, been trapped with a maniac in the snow. It's got, you know, misery, that kind of thing written all over it. It's called Snow Rim. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, Snow Rim. <laughs> Anyway, if anyone wants to vote in the best game of all time polls, get yourselves over to the forum at maturegamer.co.uk. The polls are open for another week for the final rounds of nominations, and then the knockout bit starts next week. So if you want to have your say, make sure you come over to the forums and say hello. Everyone get on there and just demand he reinstates Final Fantasy. That'll do me. It's already been voted out. <laughs> if 100 people all come back and vote for it. It got something like two votes. I know. It was, off the entire it was only forum. me and AD as well. AD didn't vote for it, did you, AD? I'm going to cut you off of this. I cannot remember. I don't know what... I can't remember what I vote for. I mean, quite possibly, I could have voted SimCity 2000, although I highly (laughs) doubt that I did. I I have no idea. I just randomly click on the thing and then click submit. So I've got... The only ones I can definitely tell you, the Doom and Doom 2 were my babies. (laughs) And the uh, Halo ones were definitely mine. I can't think of anyone else on the forum actually... uh, putting them in there so well, halo made it through so there's obviously a silent yeah. following for it if halo yeah. made it through it won its category as well i think it's it's it was a bit of a landslide halo and gears of war completely dominated yeah gears groups. of war had 13 votes or something crazy like on day one it was mad so that... that'll be erlo that under different usernames no doubt <laughs> <laughs> right we mentioned it earlier when we were talking about the best game of all time and I now need to talk about it some more because it's been the most awesome thing to happen in my gaming universe in the last couple of weeks, and that is Portal 2. Oh, my goodness, I've been very excited about this game. I never really played the first one very much at all. I had the orange box, but was too busy playing Team Fortress 2 and trying to get into Half-Life and never really did. So I sort of played the first five or ten minutes of Portal, thought, what the hell is this? I don't want to play this, and never went back to it. But playing Portal 2 from start to finish, it's just brilliant and funny and clever and wonderful. And 
I just sort of played it through in a day and a half and was on the verge of giving it to Steve for him yeah. to play. And then it was mentioned to me that there's a whole separate co-op campaign as well. And then playing the co-op campaign online, it's even better. It's as long as the main campaign and just superb. So I've played through that this week as well. And the game is still funny anyway. But then having someone that you're playing it with just adds the hilarity of it. I think, AD, you were listening in on one of the sessions where we were playing it, weren't you? I was indeed. I felt very envious because, as you know, I went and bought it on the PlayStation 3 because I'm strange like that. And uh, then realized that no bugger else had bought it on the PlayStation 3. So that ruled the co-op out. And uh, I felt very cheated because it did sound like a huge amount of fun. It was brilliant. It's just... It looks amazing. It, uh, just the the puzzles are that much harder in the co-op as well that you would towards the end of it we would literally sit there for an hour with just no idea what we were supposed to be doing and then suddenly there'd just be a flash of inspiration and we'd knock out a puzzle and then move on to the next one and i just didn't want it to end there are so few games i've played where i don't want them to end usually as i get towards the end of a game i'm ready to stop playing it and i'm ready to move on to something new i could have carried on playing portal in co-op forever it's just brilliant and just some of the funny little things that are included in it like there's a bit where um we put a bridge thing in between some uh, the lasers of some turrets that were supposed to shoot us so that we could walk past them without the turrets shooting our faces off and as i was walking past i thought i'll just have a little dance in front of these as you do they can't shoot me i'll dance i got an achievement for dancing in front (laughs) of turrets that couldn't shoot me and it was superb (laughs) just the fact that their warped minds are working on the same level as my warped mind that, well, they can't shoot me. Obviously have to dance now. <laughs> and it's superb. And the finishing to the game, I won't spoil the finishing to the co-op, but what you have to do to finish the co-op is possibly the most brilliant ending to a game I've ever come across. Just the way you have to figure out what to do. I loved it. It was brilliant. And it had us both chuckling our faces off. It was superb. And yeah, I just absolutely loved it. And I thought it was good in single player, but co-op, possibly the best co-op game I've ever, ever, ever played. I'm quite excited to be playing this this week because you wouldn't give it to me. Every time I ask, you're like, no, I'm loving it too much. And you've finally let me have it. Um, So I will hopefully enjoy it as much as you do for next week. Having already said in this episode that I don't go back to games, I think I would probably happily go back and play it again in co-op if i i might try and get my hands on another copy of That'd it be awesome so that we can play it in co-op because it's that good um and ad you should put you should in fact ad go and buy it on your xbox when you're out buying your game yeah. and play it with steve next week you are tempting me you are tempting <laughs> me greatly there because i do feel like i'm missing actually half the game um, it's genuinely as long as the single player do campaign the, yeah. Blown away. yeah it's completely different i was going to say no i mean like if you were to play the co-op with me again would it not just be the same puzzles oh yeah but there's no way i'll remember how to do okay. them <laughs> and there's that many of them there's probably 40 or 50 puzzles oh, well, yeah. that's just in the co-op campaign and yeah you if you've not played the co-op ad you have missed out on half the game because yeah. it's as big again as the single player campaign but so much more fun because it's just a laugh it's mm. superb absolutely would recommend it to anyone so you two i now insist that you both play that next week and tell us all about if Haley can't i'll find someone on the forum or if anyone's listening that wants someone to play co-op with on xbox i'll be there my gamer tag is steve 6k if anyone wants to add me right the other games that i've been playing this week and i'm going to upset some people here i think because i having had a ps3 since launch day had never played any of the uncharted games so i went out and bought them all 
um, with a view to playing them back to back. And I played the first Uncharted and never really got into it. It wasn't what I was expecting. I loved the platformy bits and the puzzly bits, but I thought the shooting was horrific. Um, I don't like the way I had to shoot with the shoulder button rather than the trigger. That upset me. I don't like the fact that I had to shoot each of the enemies a hundred times to get them to fall over. And I don't like the way there's several points in the game where you're basically just having wave after wave after wave of baddies coming after you. And I particularly didn't like the what I thought was a completely ridiculous story twist towards the end of it either. So I got up until maybe an hour from the end and just stopped and thought, well, what was all the fuss about? Uncharted shit. Left it a few days, went to play Uncharted 2, and I love that. It's completely different. I've nearly finished it. Um, the shooting just seems much improved. It's much less shooting, I think, than the first one, which is a big plus for me because I didn't buy that game because I wanted to play a shooter. Platforming is much more of a focus in the second one, I think. And it just seems more fun, more variety. The bit on the train is brilliant, which I'm sure everybody who's played it knows. And yeah, it's just so much better than the second game. So before I now potentially ruin myself with the third one, I need someone to tell me, is the third one more like the first one or the second one? AD, this is your time to shine. Oh, I've got the third one, but I've not played it yet. Oh, AD! I know, but it's in my pile of shame. But from what I can make out, it's kind of the best of the three. Awesome. Whether that means they kind of went more back to... It's supposed to be more cinematic, so I'm guessing it's going to be more along the lines of Uncharted 2, because I thought that was quite a cinematic experience. I know what you mean by the first game, that the the shooty bits were the really annoying, really annoying parts of the game. Like you say about it taking so long to put guys down and mm. uh, they really did improve that an awful lot in uncharted 2 yeah i think it had better set pieces as well and i think that's the path they've gone down with uncharted 3 and um, there was some people saying i know some people did say they weren't overly keen on the the shooting system in uncharted 3 but then equally there was the same number of people saying it was really good so without actually playing it i don't know quite what the issue was with that mm. but it certainly was getting a lot of rave reviews so i'm looking forward to checking it out myself i can't believe i've had that since it came out on launch day <laughs> i've not played it yet <laughs> it's a disease that we all have i think just stockpiling games yeah you just have to have them when they're shiny new even though if you'd have waited until now you'd have paid 20 quid for it and it would have been the same game yeah. But it's just, you have to get it on launch day, it's the law. I still don't really understand, and it, I mean, I've not played any shooters on the PS3 really, but why am I shooting in that game with the shoulder button rather, rather than the trigger? What What's that all about? Explain this to me, AD. Um, I think it's a PS3 controller thing, because there's a few first-person shooters I've had on the PS3 that have done that, and if, because it's weird, they, they sort of map it a different way, whereby... On some games, it is the trigger buttons, which is what it should be, but the trigger buttons are pretty crap on the PS3 joypad. So I guess whether they decided that it was more responsive to use the actual shoulder buttons rather than the trigger buttons, I don't know. Because the trigger buttons on the 360 are far better. And it's like um, Gran Turismo. You have to remap the controls if you want. (laughs) <laughs> analog acceleration you have to remap the controllers to the trigger buttons because by default 
I can't remember if it's the uh, X or circle button. It's one of those two that's the accelerator. That's crazy. It is crazy. And it, it, it's you just think, why would you do that as default? But I think it's possibly something to do with the, the PS3 joypad. I don't think the trigger buttons are particularly mm. great. Some of the games I've used them in in first-person shooters, I, there is a bit of like a dead zone where you where you start to pull the trigger, and on the 360, the moment you start to pull the trigger, it fires. Whereas on the PS3, there seems to be a little bit of a delay. It could be my joypad, I don't know, but I've had a couple of them now, and it, it does seem to be a bit of a delay. And the thing that the reason I ended up getting a second joypad was because of repeat usage on the first. DualShock 3 I had actually broke the spring inside the trigger because it's just it's just a thin sort of run of the mill standard spring Brilliant. and ev- eventually over time it just warped and snapped and that rendered <laughs> the whole bloody thing useless so it could even be just simply down to the fact that yeah. it's the joypad as opposed to the game developers themselves making a bizarre choice because it isn't a very good joypad no. I don't think no. anyway the other, I mean, again, on sort of on the joypad affecting the game with the Uncharted games, another of the things that I thought was a welcome change in the second one was the fact that I didn't have to do any stupid six-axis balancing on logs and stuff, which I had to do in the first one, which, again, I don't want to be doing that. I, I think I sit with my controller in a strange position anyway, because if there's ever any kind of motion control, my controller is always tilting in the wrong direction. Yeah. It was It's the same when I was playing Little Big Planet. My sack boy would always be looking up at the ceiling just because of how I, how I hold the joypad. But I don't want to be like immersed in a game and then suddenly I'm walking across a log and I have to get myself into a strange position so that I can balance as I'm walking across it. And luckily they've taken all that crap out of the second one. Yeah. which is another massive, massive improvement. But, yeah, if the third one is anything like the second one, I'm sure I'll be raving about that in the very near future because loved it. Second one, brilliant. That's about it for my week this week. I've been basically focused on just those two games. Keeping Portal from me. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But I've had good reason to keep <laughs> yeah, Portal no, from you because good. you've been doing something that was a long, been a long time coming, Steve. What have you been playing? I've been playing Bioshock from Yay! our little uh, bet there. <laughs> Um, I want to start by saying that I've actually managed to overcome the motion sickness by taking joyride tablets. By manning up. No, uh, those joyrides that you said your daughter takes when she gets sick on a car journey, yep. uh, they seem to have worked. I don't know whether it's purely the fact that we followed the advice as well of having the light on and far away from a screen or whatever, but I played it for hours and didn't feel even slightly different. Part of my problem, though, with that is it wasn't just I didn't feel slightly different with sickness. I also didn't feel slightly inclined to keep playing. I will keep playing it because you want me to, but from what I've played so far, I'm, I think it's all right. It's good. It's entertaining, but... You you were putting it towards being best the best game. game of all time. Yeah, maybe I'll be saying in next week that I've played it for another week and it is the best game of all time. But I mean, I understand it. I've, you said to me, oh, maybe it's that you didn't understand what you were getting into, kind of thing, the morality and all that. And I had read a little bit about it on Wikipedia beforehand just to see what I was, what it was, what you were trying to get me to play. I'm worried that I've gone down a pansy route. When we when I played Fallout for the first time. I was given the option of blowing up Megaton or uh, leaving them be. And obviously I opted for not blowing it up, which everyone's disgusted at when I I didn't them. blow up Megaton. Uh, I, um, I, yeah, I lived there throughout but, the whole of Fallout 3. But you let me... You let everyone call me a woman for not yeah, blowing it up obviously. when I told you. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so when I got the option of harvesting the little girls or fixing them, I fixed them. And I, a, I don't know whether that's going to turn out to be a massively bad move because that guy is telling me, oh, my family are at risk and you're saving that fucking girl. Who do you think you are? And the woman's telling me to save them. They're just children. And the girls always say thank you. So I kind of think, well, they're courteous, so they can't be <laughs> evil. Um, and part of me is worried that the big daddies are, aren't. I asked you whether I was supposed to kill them because I kind of thought they're just walking around protecting the little girls. So it's a bit of a worry that I'm killing them and then setting these little girls off to run around. Are they not all just being killed the second they run off safe? I'm just a little bit concerned for their safety. So following me around, it'd be quite fun. Well, the they go through is... the tunnels and back to What's-Her-Face, don't they? Do they? Oh, right, I, I, do you I, not watch... I did go, watch it. I didn't, go I didn't into see her go through they? a tunnel. All, all I do is I pick them up, they go, no, and they say thanks, and then... And you walk off. Yeah, I walk away, leave me. But <laughs> if I w- you hung around, you'd see them going uh, into the little tunnel. Why thing. can't I go into the little tunnel? Because you're a grown man. Uh, but, um, it, it, it does have an impact. What you decide to do has an impact on the game as you go further yeah. into Kev's it. Kev's trying so. really hard not to ruin it for me by that bit. But yeah, um, yeah, I know that... I guess that what I do would make a, a difference, but it's just early on. I mean, I like the fact that that's happening, but I am... I do hate the fact that I can make a decision now that ruins the game, kind of ruins the story. I mean, I don't think me. you'll ruin the game. It just... I mean, ruin the story, like, as in everybody dies. I, mean, I hate that. There's other games I've played where I've got to the end and they've gone, oh, but if you'd have just not opened that at the start, you'd have been fine. And I think, oh. But unless I read a walkthrough, I don't know that. And that annoys me because I kind of just think I shouldn't be held accountable for things I don't know about that are tricks. But then morality, I suppose, yeah, it's there's all no, down to me now. There's no tricks in it, really. It's yeah. just a case of the game will turn out according to how you play it, basically. Mm-hmm. So depending on how you act and how you treat people dictates how they then treat you and how they act later in the game. So you're not going to break it, whatever you do. It's just a different story and a different outcome mm-hmm. depending on the decisions you make. I did feel like I mean, it's probably more to, to me being an idiot, but it was like find the... Um telekinesis ability and I was wandering around for a fucking hour and a half just not knowing what I was doing Uh, I mean I killed a lot of stuff and built up a lot of money and bits like that and played a few of the hacking bits I like the hacking game that getting the little tubes up in place although it, a few times it's had broken pipe bits in it that yeah that me. wasn't in the second one that upset me a bit because i used to like the yeah. pipe hacking game thing but it's I, much crapper in the second one i do like the atmosphere it builds up like the machines are all quite scary for just for, for machines people bought stuff from in this utopia they're quite scary machines really i thought not like properly scary but they're a bit like and you just sort of think a kid would like that and you know <laughs> They're really rude. Like, come back when you got some money, buddy. And you just think, why would this utopia have such rude machines? I'm expecting it to get a lot better. At the moment, I've not been jumping to play it. But everyone tells me it's great. Although a friend of mine said, I told him that I hadn't really... I'd started playing it, hadn't felt it. He said he only played a few missions and couldn't see the appeal. And we've got quite similar tastes. So I'm worried that I'm going to end up going down that route. But I will go... I'm going to play to the end. Because I kind of have to. I lost the bet. <laughs> but um, I, I want to as well. The big strength of the game is the story. <coughs> yeah. So if you don't play it to the end, you'll Won't get the story. definitely be missing yeah. out. Yeah. Okay. Um, the other game I got from a, one of our listeners sent us a message on Twitter to tell us that it had been massively reduced down to a tenner, which is rather humorous because someone in our class went and bought all three of Gears... Gears of War I'm talking about here, sorry. Uh, he went and bought all three for £25, and then I went to Blockbusters and got Gears 3 for £10. Gears 1 was £3, but I thought I'll get it later. And uh, Gears 2 was a fiver, wasn't it? Yep. So £18 for the series uh, made me chuckle that he'd spent 25 Me and Kev uh, mainly played... Well, we played the car, but I've not played any of the other bit yet. 
and I think it's brilliant. I was expecting it to be a bit uh, because I've played one of the other ones and didn't particularly like it that much. I thought it was okay, but found it a bit clunky and chunky and that. And playing it with Kev, we had a right laugh. There's a moment where you're hiding and I'm just walking down a thing, taking out the monsters. And you work. You look like a badass. We're the three of us uh, taking cover, and then I see you just walking across this gangway in front of us with your shotgun, shooting <laughs> monsters in the face. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> Every time we come to a bit, they're saying "quick hide," and I'm just going, "Nope." Walk straight out <laughs> in the face, in the face, in the face, and I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. I, I can't mm. wait to play that again. Uh, you've been mentioning on the forums what the people want to play as a co-op, and I'm thinking it has to be that. Please yeah. be that. I want to play. Well, it. I think we're probably likely to be playing that for the next yeah. couple of weeks. Um, in the evenings and if anyone wants to jump in I think it's four player co-op so if anyone sees us playing it just jump in and if more than four people want to play we'll switch to Horde or yeah, definitely. play I want a different to play mode this. or something it's something we're going to be doing for a little while and it, it's fun enough in two player co-op but if mm. we have four people on there I can imagine it being oodles of deliciousness out of the two I'm enjoying this a lot more than Bioshock so far but I'm assuming that the story of Bioshock is a slow burner I mean a lot, I watch lots of TV shows that I, for the first six or seven episodes, I thought, oh, this isn't very good. And then suddenly I'm the biggest fan in the world of it. So I fully expect to get into Bioshock the next few times I play it. But at the moment, Gears of War 3 is my game of the week kind of thing. I'm loving it. It's absolutely brilliant. It, it is awesome. The multiplayer on Gears of War is far more like the multiplayer elements that I like because you've got none of this ridiculous unlocking crap going on all the mm. time. You know, except if you're playing in horde mode, but that only the unlocks you get in horde mode are for building turrets and trip wires and stuff like that. It's it's more about just the pure essence of playing the game, and it's far more enjoyable. I mean, we played didn't we a couple of weeks ago, Kevin? We had mm. such a laugh playing it, and we're playing different modes as well. And it it doesn't annoy me, you know. Dying in it doesn't annoy you. It's kind of daft to say, but it really pisses me off in games like Call of Duty, or the the recent Call of Duty games, because you know somebody's got perks switched on and has got better weapons. It becomes a bit of a uphill struggle, yeah, just to get a decent game going. Whereas with Gears of War three, you've, you've either got you know you have a, a choice of weapons, but it's far more balanced and. I just, I just find it far more entertaining to play and just have a, have a far better laugh playing it. Oh, definitely. I think, I mean, I've not, I must have, I must be 20 or 30 hours into it. I've not even started playing it in single player yet. And I doubt I will because mm-hmm. it's got so many different multiplayer modes and co-op modes and I can play the campaign in co-op and I just don't see that I'd need to play the single player part of it. But I'm just, every, every bit of it I try, I really enjoy. I think it fits me as well in that, like, when you're opening a door, you don't just open the door or unlock it. You boot it through. Um, they <laughs> yeah. ask you to move the cars, and you're just throwing them out of the way. And I, Kev was just saying, this is this is you. This is exactly <laughs> how you would act if you were in the game. And uh, I like that. I think that's brilliant. It speaks to me. The other game we've been playing this week is uh, Scramble with Friends, which isn't on par with our normal level of games. But um, we felt it needed a mention because... You felt it needed well, a mention. It's the most addictive iPhone slash iPad game ever. It's, it's the most battery-ruining yeah. iPhone. It's amazing though, isn't it? You only because you're addicted to it. Well, no, we've. I played it for maybe an hour or two on Monday, and my my battery was dead by lunchtime. It was ridiculous. Just this. I mean, there was four or five of us who were playing it, 
and it probably wasn't even an hour or two because you can't play mm. it for an hour or two. It must have been maybe 10 or 20 minutes over the course of two or three it's hours. It's basically speed boggle, isn't it? You have yeah, two minutes to find as many words. It does. Um, I think they need to find a way to make that a bit quicker, uh, um, sorry, a bit less battery intensive. But it's a brilliant game. I think it's... I've noticed that so many people are discovering it on Facebook and then adding me through the game on my phone and we're playing I've been playing it non-stop and I have had to start plugging my phone in but if you played Words with Friends ever and you like that which is a good game Scramble with Friends is really fun and I just thought I wanted to mention that because we don't really do many iPhone games and that's a good start because that is very addictive I'm very addicted to that at the moment What's your username on it? Do you want people to be adding you to it? Hang on a minute. I don't want people to add me to it because I've got four games on the go at the moment and haven't touched it for two days because I don't want to wreck my battery. My username on there is apparently RB6K, which is my Twitter username and everything else. So, I mean, if you are able to find me on there, I don't mind being challenged to a game. If I get any strangers, I'll just assume it's the podcast. You can even, there's a chat on there, so you can say I've added you from the podcast. But yeah, I'm, I'm very addicted to it. So if anyone wants to play, go for it. And then I don't have to play with him, which means my battery will survive, which is good. Mm-hmm. What have you been up to then, AD? Are you going to tell us about some obscure game from the 80s? Or... Oh, no, no, no. Although I have been playing some retro games this week, but I've been playing too many to go into. But I did, I did have time to put one game out of the pile of shame to bed, and that was Resistance 3. I had actually started it before Christmas, but got distracted with the other releases and what have you and never finished it. So, yeah, I finished the single-player campaign in that, not tried the multiplayer, not really been that interested in trying the multiplayer on Resistance games, to be honest. I had a brief go um, with the original game, really to see if it was as impressive as what people were making it out in relation to the volume of people that were in the game at any one time. But no, not, it's just pretty much straightforward type online gaming. I'm not really interested in it. But the campaign was good. It was a nice rounding up finish to it. They've kind of left it semi-open if they ever did want to go back and make any more. But I know they subsequently they've said they're not going to make any more Resistance games or the team responsible is not going to make any more Resistance games, which is a bit of a shame because you know it was making great steps in the right direction of becoming a, a good solid franchise of its own i say i really enjoyed it thought it was very good thought the story was good has it moved on much from the first one because i had the first one way back when the ps3 first came out and i played it for about an hour and it just didn't grab me at all and i've, so I've never really looked at the series since then it's much better than the first one i mean the, i think the problem with the first game it it paid the price of the PlayStation 3's delay because it was a launch title for it. And when it came out, it looked and played quite dated. And it was a bit unfair because it was a good game, but because the PlayStation 3 got delayed, consequently the game got delayed. Resistance 2 was far more showing the power of the PS3 in terms of it looked more of a current first-person shooter rather than a sort of last-gen one, which... I felt Resistance was like, and it's kind of a similar step forward with Resistance 3 as well. You know, it's graphically, it's improved, there's some really good set pieces. But I think, although I do think it's a shame that they won't be making, or the, the, the potentials there for them not to be making any more games now, I do think it rounded off that particular storyline and, and trilogy quite well. I wouldn't like to see them sort of try and flog more out of the same 
sort of storyline that they've had going. I think it finishes off quite well. And there are some really incredible set pieces. One of them happens quite early on in the game where you're on a, a boat going down a river and you've got no control over where the boat's going and there's what they call a Goliath, which is this like huge mechanised machine starts coming towards you down the river and you're hiding under the, this bridge while it's coming towards you. And you've got no weapons that can touch this thing. You know, it's colossal. It looks like it's about a mile high. Then there's, there's one of them coming towards you. Then there's another couple as well. And you're fighting against the... Uh, the, the chimera while you're on this boat the chimera the, the sort of infected bad guys alien disease monsters things. monsters yeah, yeah just call them monsters exactly so yeah they, there's some really good set pieces in that there's some good weapons in it as well there's a cryo gun which freezes freezes the but yeah it freezes the bad guys and you can just How do melee you know them that? and smash them into pieces cryo is freezing isn't it yeah is it? yeah duh oh, well mm-hmm. i never yeah, there's a, there's like another gun which you can use to shoot because in this game you also get to fight against other humans as well in like a level which is set inside of this old prison. I thought you meant a multiplayer then. I was like, that's called multiplayer gaming. <laughs> no, 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 no. Actually, in the single player <laughs> yeah. campaign, and there's a cracking gun in that which you can use, to, and it actually infects them. It, you like makes them get the the chimera disease, and that kills them. So there's this. You know, lots of few nice little touches like that. But yeah, it was well worth it. I really enjoyed it. I had the uh, limited edition, surprise, surprise. <laughs> and the actual um, Blu-ray disc is designed like an old vinyl 45 record, huh? um, okay. which is a nice awesome. little touch. Yeah. No, it's not much, but it has... I don't know. I wonder if it would actually play on a record player, because it does have the grooves and everything on the on the surface. Obviously, it's on the flip side to the the surface that's red inside the PlayStation 3. Why but, don't you stick it in a record player and see? Now you're finished with player. the game. How have you I'm, not got a record player? You're about 80 years old. You must have a record player. I don't know. I need to get one of them USB jobbies. I don't <laughs> have one. I'm all modern now. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that was Resistance 3. And the other one was Battlefield 3. Now, I finished the single-player campaign before Christmas. Didn't really think much to it. Thought it was a bit rubbishy. But the multiplayer is awesome. Now, as you know, I'm playing it on the PS3, so I've only been playing against the random lunatics online. But did have some really good games of it, which is quite unusual for me to play against randoms and enjoy it. Normally, I get incredibly frustrated and just think, I'll oh, sod this, because <laughs> you usually get some arsehole that's there just snipe-killing you all the time when you spawn. But I really enjoyed it. Actually got into a helicopter, though I didn't fly it. I was using the routine of repairing, running repairs as an engineer whilst in a helicopter because the guy who was flying it just insisted on getting shot by rockets every five seconds. And I was like, if you moved away from where the people are shooting rockets at you or return fire, we might live longer. So, But that, it kind of worked out because I was getting quite a few engineering points. Exactly. I play yeah. as a medic, so I I'm just happy. engineer. I'm happy just reviving people the whole time. I've, I've been top of the leaderboard without any kills on Battlefield 3 before. It's superb. I love the Battlefield game. I love Battlefield 2, I mean. I really want to play Battlefield 3. I keep I'm waiting to get paid so I can buy it. And Am I going to have to make you both get this on the 360 again? You may I think have so, <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, there are some lunatics online. I was trying to repair this tank that this guy was in. He'd been hit. 
by another tank and I was stood behind trying to repair and he kept driving off while I was trying to repair his tank. <laughs> and of course, the problem with the PS3 is it's like bugger all in the way of comms. So I can't say to the guy, stop moving away. I'm trying to fix the tank. And uh, yeah, he just drove off and got blown up about three seconds later. And then I got blown up because I lost the protection of the tank. So yeah, that it is a great shame because it does run really well and the the reason i chose to get it on the ps3 was purely down to the demo that they released i tried it both on the 360 and the ps3 and on the 360 it just kept glitching all the time there was lockups there was graphical glitches there was all manner of crap things going on and when i tried it on the ps3 it seemed to play a lot better and it seemed less glitchy so it was actually based on the demo that I made mm. the decision to get it on the PS3, but obviously they've sorted out any issues with the 360 prior to launch. But it kind of shows that releasing a dodgy demo can be That's equally damaging to a game as a good one. And yeah, had it been had it been the other way around, or certainly at least run competently on the on the 360, I would have got that one. Obviously, because I know more people on the 360 mm. than the PS3. So, I've been playing it quite a lot online i haven't touched the single player yet and probably i don't expect i ever will even start the single player because i don't like the single player parts of these (laughs) kind of games but i've been playing it a lot online and i yeah i absolutely love it i would be very happy for more people to arrive on that the only downside um i think the online to battlefield 3 has is if there's more than four or five of you who want to play together or even if you've only got four people it can be really hard to get everyone on the same server because generally the servers are always full and there'll be one gap open up and you'll get in and then if you want to get in the same one as a mate you have to all keep trying to get in one at a time you can't just lump into it all in one go and it can take up, I mean, there was a week or so back, there was four of us trying to play together, and it took well over half an hour to get the four of us in the same server on the same side so we could be in a squad together. Um, so it's not something that you can have a quick game with a couple of mates just like that because it takes so long to get it set up. And it, it would just, it seems strange that you can't just move an entire Xbox Live party into a game. You could as on a squad. two, couldn't you? Bad Company 2. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it perhaps is an option in there, but the problem is, even if it's an option, Wasn't it's obvious. never realistic because there's never a server that's got four gaps on one side. Is there a big difference between this and Bad Company 2? Is it worth, like, if you have that already and you, you play it with your mates often or whatever, is it worth going over yeah, three? Yeah, because the maps are better and there's yeah. jets in it. Jets. <laughs> yeah, Battlefield 3 is proper Battlefield, whereas Bad Company... Bad Company is kind of a bit more of a spin-off series. Right. They they put a lot more focus on the single player. Not more focus at the expense of the multiplayer, but their single player campaign is more evolved. Battlefield 3's single player is probably best summed up as saying it's more like a training exercise. It, it's not like you're fighting against bots in, in like a deathmatch environment, but it just doesn't play very well at all. It's got a storyline, you know, you, you like this um, soldier who's been interrogated for events that have happened during the game, so it's kind of like a, a, re- a retrospective look at events that have happened through the eyes of this soldier that you're playing. But so that you know that element to it's quite interesting, but. Even against like Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 3, that single-player campaign is far better than Battlefield 3's. And, and 
funnily enough, in a lot of respects, they are quite similar in terms of storyline. But it just doesn't it doesn't feel right. It feels more like an afterthought and they've they've tried to beef up that side of it at the last minute to try to you know, to avoid it simply being an online multiplayer game. So they have focused on the multiplayer more so, which I think makes yeah. sense really. They, well they with Battlefield that. that's its that's its bread and butter. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's its whole history has been based around the multiplayer. So I'd have been disappointed if they'd have, funnily enough, I would have been disappointed if they'd gone more single player and then started stripping things out of the multiplayer. Mm. I'd have had no issue at all if that game had been released with no single player Definitely. at all, because I just don't mm. think you need it in there. I mean, it, it, even to the point where on the 360 version, they're on two separate discs, the single player and the multiplayer, and the single player one just hasn't left the case. The <laughs> multiplayer one's all nicely installed on my hard drive. Single player one will probably never leave the case, just because I've got no reason to ever even look at it. The only thing it could possibly help me with is flying the vehicles, because I can't fly them for shit. It's ridiculous. Well, you, you don't actually get to do much of that at all in oh, the single player. Brilliant. You don't get to fly the jet. You go in a jet, it's a really good bit, but you're actually the um, what do they call it? You're not the pilot, you're the guy who operates pilot. the weapon systems. You know, you like the... The, the shooty man. The yeah, like, you like the then. goose to, to Tom Cruise's maverick type of thing. You're just stuck in the back and you're looking around calling out where the enemy fighters are. Bit disappointing really, because... It, that's the bit that they showed on the trailer where you take off from the aircraft carrier and it is stunning to look at it, it's just out of this world graphically wise but it, you don't actually get to fly the jet yourself so yeah when I was saying it's a trainer it's not really in the way of being able to control vehicles mm. it's it's just more this is how the game sort of plays type of thing these are the controls because the controls are a bit different to your standard first person shooter in terms of which the button layout and what have you um you go from call of duty to that and i do find it a bit confusing but just going back to the problem of getting into um games on mass in a party i think it's probably also down to the fact that you can't actually once you're in a multiplayer game online you have to actually quit mid-game you can't quit when you go back to the menu or when you go back to the the lobby Mm. there's no exit option at all so once you're in that lobby you're locked in until the game starts so it's kind of weird that you're never going to be able to join a game that's in a lobby if the lobby's full so you're only ever going to be able to join a game when people start dropping out of it once the game is already underway and I think that's a problem. It, you know, even Major Nelson mentioned that to the developer on his podcast and when he was interviewing him because it was driving him mad. And the developers mm. just basically said, well, why would you want to quit out of the game anyway? And I thought, yeah, kind of funny, but also a bit glib because it has created this problem, I think, where it can be difficult to get a group of people into a game because most people want to quit when they're in a lobby because it's sort of ingrained into you now that if you quit while you're playing a game you're going to lose any of the the ranking up or perks or benefits or whatever that you've achieved in that because you know it's almost like a punishment system mm. that some games do put in so i think they do need to address that because i think that is the reason why people do struggle to get parties into the game is you are essentially waiting for any people to drop out while the game's in progress 
I haven't even noticed that problem, mainly because if I want to quit, I will quit the entire game. So I'll just I go back say. to the dashboard. Yeah. I don't I, I don't think I've ever wanted to quit out of one match and get into another one, which I suppose if I was trying to get into a game with some friends, that might be a little bit different. But generally, I'm the loser who's on there first trying to get other people to join me. So I suppose that's why I've not come across that. But it does seem a bit odd that you can't quit out of the lobby. They'll probably update it at some point if it becomes that much of a problem, will they? Like maybe a little patch or something? Yeah, I doubt there's a lot of point now, is there? It's electronic arts, though. You can never tell, can you, what they're going (laughs) to do? They're they're online things allure unto itself most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that just about sums up our gaming fun from this week. Apart from... We had a bit of a Left 4 Dead session um, last weekend, didn't we, AD? Oh, we did, yes. <laughs> and there was only a few of us on, but I, I sometimes forget how good Left 4 Dead is, and it's just cracking fun. It really is. It's just a laugh, isn't it? I mean, there, I think there was only three or four of us for most of the night, and the, I mean, we had a few other guys who were playing other games in the party as well, and it's what just one of those games that you can stick on, and what you're doing in the game isn't as important as the fact that you're just having a laugh in the lobby whilst shooting zombies in the face or hitting them with a cricket bat. I mean, I must have spent half an hour looking for a cricket bat just because yeah, I wanted a yeah. cricket bat to you club did, yeah. zombies with. Um, but it's just a great laugh, and I, it's something it needs to get back into this the rotation of online sessions i think because i've got them both sat there i love them both and um if anyone ever wants to play left for dead please shout loud and i will come and play it with you because it's awesome we'll add yeah. it to add it to steve's list of games yeah. that he has to go out i and need buy. to get alone i think and just buy all these <laughs> games i really want to <laughs> it's um, awesome i mean the, the, we played the mutation because it was left for dead 2 we played we played the mutation game didn't we whereby we did we we're all armed with the M60s with infinite amounts of ammunition. That was great fun as well. And it, do you know that's one of the few games where I can just sit and I can go back and play the single player game, even though it's built purposefully around a co-op mm. multiplayer, and get just as much enjoyment playing it in the single player. I mean, I've gone back. I mean, God knows how many times I've played through various campaigns on that on both of them. Yeah, you know, just stick the game on and you know it's not going to take hours you know where you're going and you can just have a quick blast on it or when you can have a proper online Mm. session there's just so much fun to be had because i like the fact that the the monsters in it are randomly generated so you don't know when a tank's going to attack you have a pretty good idea you know when it comes to the set pieces but the random encounters you have going through the game it's different all the time Especially Left 4 Dead 2, where you can get loads of the special infected one after another. One person's getting battered by the charger, another one clubbed by a tank, and another one being dragged off by a smoker. And it's it's, it's just awesome fun. It is. It's a a great game. Plus, and this is going to mean nothing to Steve because he's not played with us, any game where you're just in a group, suddenly yell, ah, I'm being sucked off. And everyone (laughs) knows exactly what you mean. That's my kind of game. Because yeah. um, it just amuses me that that is that's still said and everyone understands it. Yeah. It's superb. It, I mean, it reminds me as well of what you were saying about just being able to go into the single player. I like the fact that you can go through an entire single player campaign in less than an hour if you're doing it by yourself. It's yeah. brilliant. Just, I've got an hour, want to play a game, you can do the story from start to finish, pick one of the campaigns. But 
I remember in the first one us sitting there doing it on expert. It's the only time we've ever completed the game on the hardest difficulty <laughs> and just basically massively cheating. And when we were playing on um, Saturday night, AD reminded me of a wonderful tale from when we were trying to when we were trying to do the games on expert, which he's chuckling. I'm going to let you tell the story, AD, because it was brilliant. I hadn't remembered that this happened, but it made me chuckle when you were telling me about it. Yeah, we got to the very, very last encounter, the very last set piece on the very last level, just before um, on the original Left 4 Dead, before you get into the ATV. Now, there were various locations in these levels that were dubbed Jesus locations. And I think if I remember rightly, it was the Jesus tree where yeah. what basically that means is the infected can't get you. If you're in that particular location and you all manage to crash in there, so long as the, the guys, you can just keep meleeing, they can't get you. They can't hit you. Uh, the special infected can't drag you off. The tank can't club you to death or anything like that. It's a massive, great big cheat, but you know, it's the it was, only way was, we were ever going to finish it. the only way we knew how to do it. <laughs> and we'd battled through the entire campaign, and there was an achievement at the end of it all. If you survived, you got the achievement for each individual campaign for surviving them on the uh, the hardest difficulty setting. But there was one which um, I think was called something like What You're Trying to Prove or something, which was if you complete all of the campaign, all of the four, is it four or five campaigns four, or something? Four, I think, on the first four. one, yeah. If you complete all of them on the hardest difficulty setting, you got this special achievement. So this is what we'd all been working for. And we got to the bit, the ATV arrives, and Kev is the sacrificial lamb, as he called himself, because he's the one that's done it all before. And there's me and there's Jay and one of the AI characters. And the minute the ATV comes, I'm off. I mean that it doesn't matter whether I'm achievement pouring or not. I was I'm the first one in that vehicle anyway. The moment it appears, I'm banging on the back doors, let me in. So I get in, and then the AI character gets in, and Kev is at the aforementioned Jesus tree, and he's saying to Jay, Jay, go now, and I'll sacrifice myself. And I don't know what happened, but somehow Kev gets on board this vehicle before Jay. Jay's about to get off the vehicle, and next thing you know, you hear the, the sound of the smoker. And just as he's about to get on the vehicle, and I'm looking like at, towards the, the back door, because I'm waiting for the back door of the vehicle to shut and drive off, and you just see him getting dragged back out of the vehicle. <laughs> and he's like, somebody help me. And I was, he was like, hordes of the infected and the tank and got a hunter. And I thought, like, hell am I going out there? And the AI character's like, I'm not going out there. The game was like, I've got all the achievements and I'm not going out there. And before <laughs> any of us could do anything, the door shuts. The, the ATV rolls off and uh, the credits start rolling. I get my what you're trying to prove achievement pops up. And Jay's sat there and all he hears him say, well, that's just bloody marvellous, that, because I didn't get the achievement. And it, it must have taken us a week to get through this because even doing that you've still got to play through the rest of the levels in order to get to that point anyway so it took a huge huge effort on the part of everyone and the the, the word was well I'm not bloody doing all that again so you can get lost and I don't think to this day he ever got that (laughs) (laughs) after Uh... all of that it just seems so cruel but it was just so funny because it was one of those moments in the game that does define it. You just turn around and you see something happen to somebody 
hanging too busy laughing. You really should be trying to do something about it, but it was just pure comedy gold. Uh, <laughs> and it's actually reminded me that the same thing happened to him when we were playing through Portal 2 together, because he basically, his Xbox crashed on a really early level, and we got to the end of the game, credits start to roll, I get the you saved science achievement, and said, ah, hurrah, I saved science, 100 points, and I just hear Jay going, I haven't got an achievement. <laughs> <laughs> I saved science too. And um, we then had to go back through all the levels trying to find the one that he hadn't finished so we could go back and do that for him. And I was so tempted to just quit and leave him to it. <laughs> <laughs> and just Because this was like three days after you'd reminded me of what happened in Left 4 Dead and I'm thinking, I want to get Jay raging again. It would be superb. It was. <laughs> but no, I, I was nice and I, I let him get the achievement as well. We had to go back and redo one of the very early puzzles but oh, I was so tempted to ruin him we've got a guest with us now ladies and gentlemen I'm very excited we're actually starting to turn into a, like a real podcast aren't we because we're having guests on every week before when it was only 80 no one was impressed because you, you mean know, only well you're not really like, not really a guest are you you just talk about games and stuff so it was never that exciting but now we've got a real exciting guest who's got real exciting things to talk about but ladies and gentlemen boys and girls we've got toad guy from the forum who is also steve which is going to confuse the fuck out of me we're going to stick with toad guy just because i keep reacting to steve yeah, okay. So we have Toad Guy from the forum with us. Say hello, Toad Guy. Hello, Toad Guy. I'm sorry that was an obvious joke. And but, everyone um... who's been on so far has done it. AD <laughs> did it last week. I'm sure Paul He's... did it as well, didn't he? Everyone does it. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. I was listening to a, I was listening to another podcast yesterday as well, and again they did it on there as well. It just seems to be the uh, the done thing. I've, I've never done that gag though. I feel like I, should. I don't think I have, but yeah, well, you must. Perhaps you did in the, in the very early days. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, the reason we've got Toad Guy on with us, um, well he actually made a suggestion on the forum, didn't he, for a topic and we just kind of looked at each other and went, <laughs> Sounds <laughs> what's good, that? Yeah. It sounds alright to talk about, but we can't talk about it because don't really know what it is. It was about what was it? <laughs> what did Electronic you sports, which turned out I did know a little bit about it Actually, in the pre-show bit that we were doing, you and Aidy were mocking me for calling it eSports, I'm just looking at Toad Guy's first post on the topic I have an idea for a topic you could consider. Video slash computer games as a spectator sport. Brackets. Or eSports, as they seem to be known. I didn't make it up. We didn't say he, you did. He I don't recall this conversation. Up. We said, is it eSport or are you making it up to try and coin a phrase? And you said you made it up. Yeah, yeah. I think I did. And then we got it up on Wikipedia and you said it must have caught on since you made it up. So, yeah, he suggested that. <laughs> and um, Here he is to talk about it. Good work, Steve. Right, well, I suppose I should say something about myself. Obviously, Toad Guy is a name I use for sort of games and things based on uh, Xbox Live and PlayStation Network. And basically, any game I've played the last 20 years, probably, or if it's been online, which probably hasn't been 20 years, um, I've used Toad Guy. Where did that come from? Because that one's always confused me a little bit. Is it just made it, up? Yeah, it is. It's made up. I basically used to use... A, I can't say it because I still use it. I use a variation of that as a password on some sites. And I thought I needed a name and I changed it very slightly. Uh, I've got another character called Newt Girl. Toad um, by a Newt Girl. You've got your own little comic book going. Well, it's, as it started literally as 
I needed a character for, I think it was Rock Band, and I need, I always make female characters in Rock Band, my fantasy women, basically. Everyone does. I did and, the um, same thing. I, a Toad Guy was my Xbox Live name, so I needed a female name, so Newt Girl came about. So, yeah, I've been playing games since the late 70s when I got a grandstand console, for the, which is basically, Grandstand was the, the brand name of Dixon's mm. when they used to make consoles. And it was a cartridge system, but only had one cartridge. And the games were all a variation of Pong, i.e. the... That sounds um, outstanding. <laughs> when I say variations, there were things like hockey was basically Pong, except there was a goal which moved an inch in from the left and right screen so the ball could go behind. And basically every game on the... Well, there were ten games. Every game was a variation of that called hockey, football, tennis, squash. And I never got another cartridge for it. And I probably still got the console, or although it's in my parents' loft. Did other cartridges exist for it? Or was that... I, they may have done, but I never <laughs> bought one. Because they were expensive Brilliant. at the time. Well, when, you, when you're a ten-year-old, Anything above a pound is expensive, especially in the late seventies. Yeah, everything you needed though. The ball went up, down, left, right. You know, could it the be diagonals back in the day? The or? one selling point of this particular console, it had an analog stick uh-huh. as opposed to a sort of rotational control, which a lot of them had, and that felt that felt like the future. It sounds very similar to the one that I had that had, that had like twin analog sticks on it for two player, but that you didn't get cartridges with that. It was just sort of built in. You used to press these big orange buttons and that used to select all the different sports and so on and so forth. But, yeah, I think there was quite a few of those Pong clone consoles around then. The one thing I do remember about it, there was a sort of shooting game, which you could buy, obviously, a light gun, which was the the big thing in these late 70s, early 80s. But, again, I didn't have a light gun. But I remember you could move the crosshair with the analog stick quite accurately and the big blocks moved around it felt like you were shooting things and it felt like the future <laughs> and we now know that it's rubbish <laughs> <laughs> uh. so that was my uh, that was my initial after obviously arcade games like space invaders and then because my dad was a headmaster of a primary school they got a zx81 and that was my next foray into gaming and it was the idea you know you get these games on cassette or you type them into a magazine and you'd, you'd, you'd play these games, and it was, again, marvellous. Things like 3D Monster Maze, which is a classic of its time. And then on the ZX Spectrum, and obviously that, uh, from the sort of mid-80s onwards, that was my game thing of choice. And then, obviously, when I went to college, I left games behind. And then I really got back into games playing personally. With the, I bought a Nintendo 64 after playing GoldenEye at a friend's house. And since then, I had an Xbox, an Xbox 360, and a PS3, which I barely use for games, and, and up until the present day. Apart from all the early bits in the 70s, that's very similar to mine. It seems like we missed out the same batch of consoles and stuff. You missed yeah. out the same batch that I did, so that's good. Someone else who can't, who can't go on and on about how good the SNES was, because I never had one. I like well, my like, SNES. <laughs> my experience with the SNES is obviously based on my on my work career but my brother did have a mega drive and sonic and i think madden was one of the games we used to play on that again that was must have been 90 (laughs) 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 so yeah so i do have some experience of those games and obviously what what i did for my one of my first jobs 
which we'll come probably come into later in the episode. I I did was aware of this, the NES, Super Nintendo, Atari Jaguar, but I wasn't interested in them. I mean, I did. I remember seeing a PlayStation because a friend of mine worked for Sony as a designer, and he had one of the first playstations in this country it was a japanese one so he used to play it on his tv in black and white because obviously it's a different tv system <laughs> and seeing ridge racer on that and that was like an arcade game in your house and it was like wow then obviously i wasn't aware of quite how it would take off in terms of way video games have gone but you know now they are a sort of you know it's a part of life everyone grows up playing games now whereas before it was very much a sort of geeky thing so yeah, as we said before, the reason you're on the show with us today is because you, you wanted to talk about a side of gaming that it's certainly nothing that I'm familiar with in any way, which is kind of why when you suggested the topic, I sort of panicked and said, well, you're going to have to come on and talk to us about that because I know nothing about it. And that's the like the concept of watching games. And it, I mean, I can't bear to watch other people playing games. It just bores me to tears. And you've sort of introduced me to another side of it through some videos that you've sent me which I didn't even know existed and I'm still not really sure how I feel about it but if you want to tell us a little bit about esports well esports or electronic sports is a, a relatively new phenomenon it's basically the idea of watching other people play a game competitively now, the reason I know about this is because I play a game called StarCraft 2, which is a real-time strategy game, i.e. build an army, kill another person. And I'm not very good at it. I mean, I the game's been out, StarCraft 2, that is, for about 18 months, and I've not got any better at it. I'm still as bad as I was. And I was just, I can't remember how I discovered it, but I found, in Korea, StarCraft 1, which was a game that was launched in, like, 1998, is a very, very popular spectator sport. There are TV channels dedicated to it. And with the release of StarCraft II in 2010, it's been opened up to a whole new world. A lot of this is to do with the internet and people producing stuff for YouTube. And so I started watching the odd game, partly to learn how to play, and partly I sort of got sucked into it. I mean, I'm not like a big follower. And to be honest, I... I only watch it every now and then, but I find getting myself getting sucked into it. And a couple of times they, I've watched live tournaments. It's sort of, I find that you, it's stuff, because I know the game, because I play it, I find that I can, I watch these people, and oh, I could do that, oh, I think I could do that. And then I realise I'll never be able to do that, because these people are, they practice hours a day, whereas I've got a job. Which, which is, I say that in sort of offhand manner, but people do do this professionally. And they can make money. It, obviously, the amount they make is completely varied from sort of you know a few few pounds or a few dollars to people who are sort of who are out on retainers who are you know, thousands of pounds a year. See, I think the confusion that I've got is all the other stuff you've mentioned there. I like I watch football. I watch other sports. I'm I'm into poker and I will watch poker. But one of the reasons I think that video games are different is that with all that other stuff i'll watch that because either i can't do it or it's not the right time to do it the place you have to do it isn't open or i haven't got the stuff that i need to be able to do it like i can't go and kick a ball around in the middle of the night because a i'm fat and not very good and b it's the middle of the night there's nowhere to go and do it but with video games if i'm sat at home in an evening and think 
I need a gaming fix. I just can't imagine a world where I go and sit someone else, sit and watch someone else play it rather than just playing it myself. The, the poker thing is a very good point because poker, I've sat and watched poker. I mean, I don't play poker. I've never played a game of poker. I barely understand the rules in terms of what beats what, but it has become a very popular television sport, partially because of technology, the fact that cameras have become cheaper so you can have a camera under each person's hand. So you, as a spectator, you're aware of the whole game. You've got an overview. You know one person has a pair of kings, one person has nothing, and they're bluffing. So because of that overview, you then, it becomes a uh, an interesting experience because you know something that the players don't. And I think the important thing about video games as a sport or as a spectator um, activity is the fact of getting an overview of games. Now, someone on the forum mentioned the fact that they watch people playing you know, uh, first-person shooters or they, they, they watch their friends play them. And that's a sort of first-person view. I very much equated to the idea of a racing car view, i.e. you see the view from the driver's point of view. But then it will always cut to the wide shot showing you their position in the race. And I think for a game to be a sport, it needs to have that overview. And then you need commentators who will explain what is important about that particular facet, i.e. what one player is doing in relation to the whole game as an observer. Now, this technology is obviously helping towards this. Like StarCraft, you can be an observer. Um, Some first-person shooters, you can be a spectator and see the whole game. And then your commentators should then be the ones who point out things that you may not have noticed or things you may not be aware of i.e. strategies, what this person is doing. For example, a first-person shooter, someone come around a corner, they can see from their overview that actually there's a person around the corner ready to shoot them. And I think that's what makes it a sport, as opposed to just watching other people playing a game. There's been various programmes on Sky channels in particular, and even a dedicated channel which did do sort of very similar things you know they had Forza tournaments they had first person shooter tournaments and the popularity of those didn't really seem to take off do you think that was just sort of down to the presentation of it more than anything else because they were pretty cheap and nasty type of programs that were cobbled together do you think that that is the most important thing is the presentation as much as the actual gameplay and you know, what type of games are being played as well. The presentation of these things is very important. If you just have a load of shots of someone playing a game, it makes no sense to the viewer. What you need is someone, a commentator, to explain it. To ex- And generally, there's a rule of commentating. You generally have someone who is usually an ex-player who understands the technicalities of the game. Then you have someone else who is there to draw the viewer in and um, make it a, a worthwhile experience. Uh, for example, if someone just goes, oh, he's doing this, he's doing this, he's doing this, it's, it's dull. Whereas if someone says, oh, he brings a bit, of, a bit of performance to the whole commentating thing, then it makes, for the viewer, it makes it more interesting. And I think that's the presentation is probably what makes anything worth watching. For example, in StarCraft, it's generally there are two presenters. Um, and there's particular two guys who are British. One's called Total Biscuit and one's called Dee Apollo. 
great names, but I mean, that's that's everyone. I mean, I'm a Toad guy, so I'm not one to complain about it. And they work together. Now, Apollo is, he works for a, a team called Dignitas, and he is an ex-professional. He won the Command and Conquer World Championship a few years ago. So he knows the technicalities of the game, whereas Total Biscuit, who is a broadcaster, has a way of you know, making it exciting. And I think that's what works. And it, in every eSport thing I've watched, they're generally the ones that are worth watching. There is that combination of the two, the one who gives the details, the one who bigs up the game. I was having a look online earlier on before knowing that we were going to do this topic. And I mean, we're saying that it's not very well like watched or heard of, but I read one of the things that kind of made me think uh, that it was over 110,000 people tuned in to watch one StarCraft battle live. And that's more people than would see both Chelsea and Man United. But it was I just thought it was a, very impressive that they get more people watching that live in person or whatever than you'd get at maybe a stadium. You kind of expect it to be a few thousand, maybe. They have all stayed up to watch it. A lot of these games have replay facilities. For example, I think Halo... Three was the first one to have, like, I think it was Forge, where you could re-watch a game you played. And then obviously with recording technology, you can record that, put it on YouTube, and then Call of Duty's got it now. StarCraft 1 had this back, well, it was added after the release. But the idea is then people can cast the games after they've happened. And a lot of these get loads and loads of views. There are people who will make a career out of it. I mean, I'm not joking, they... There's a guy called um, Day9 who's an ex-professional StarCraft player. I think he's ex-professional. But what he does, he analyzes games in terms of very technical details about what this person done at this point. And he gets lots of views. And he does a show, I think, at least four times a week, and it's live. And he gets 10,000 viewers live. And then his videos go on YouTube, and he gets probably another 100,000 views on YouTube. We need to get into this, Steve. This is something we should get into. Yeah. Balls to the podcast. We're yeah. going to start talking about Nerdcraft or whatever it is. One of them is it Nerdcraft? Is that what it is? <laughs> we should see if we can get one of them to s- slap a little uh, banner of our podcast on their little... And picture of my face. Yeah, that would probably draw people in. Talking about numbers again, I mean, Major League Gaming, MLG, which covers, I think, it covers StarCraft, Call of Duty, Counter-Strike, Halo... Their statistics for the last year are quite impressive. They had 241,000 peak concurrent online viewers for one of their competitions. And their videos were watched in terms of uh, over the course of the year. It was 15 million hours were watched online. Impressive. And Um, so that shows that there is a market for this. And then you think about the odd sports that have been shown on television over the years. I remember watching, have you ever watched Kabaddi? It was on Channel 4 in the sort of late 80s, early 90s. It's basically an Indian version of British Bulldog, except when <laughs> you're going forward, you have to keep saying Kabaddi because it means you can't breathe in. So you keep saying Kabaddi, 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 Kabaddi. And so that is that you can't breathe while you're attacking. And I watched <laughs> that. Bad. It was on Channel 4 on Sunday afternoons. So I watched it for a while. Not that I knew anything about the teams. It was just... What the hell is this? I'll watch this. (laughs) So minority sports do have a place. I mean, Eurosport shows every sport there is under the sun, and they've shown StarCraft tournaments. Uh, How do these people get into it exactly? Is it much like, obviously, if you play poker as an amateur, if you just happen to rise up the ranks and suddenly become awesome at it, you get invited to these things? Or do you just start playing against these guys, the biscuit guy you mentioned, and beat them? Biscuit man. Yeah. 
But he he actually has a, a, a show, I think it's three times a week, and again, it's live and it's streamed, and then the video on demand are then shown on YouTube. And he plays Starcraft, and he's not a great player, he admits it, but people watch it, it's a case of schadenfreude, because they watch him play and see him often lose, and it's like, you think, why would people watch this stuff? But it is quite entertaining when you, when you see someone you know, make mistakes that you think, oh, you think at the time, oh, I'd never make that mistake. But in terms of how they get into it, I think it's they just start playing it as a diversion and then they, they realise they're good at it. And then the people who are professional, you know, they have to practice, you know, they work, you know, nine, ten hours a day playing a game, which then I think part of the enjoyment of playing a game, if you do every, something every day for eight hours, you're not to start not enjoying it. It just becomes a job. I can vouch for that because I tried to have a summer of being a professional poker player last summer. And as much as I enjoyed it and did okay at it, I just I couldn't play it anymore after sort of three or four months of you playing. You paid the bills with it, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I survived the summer playing poker. But after like three or four months of playing poker for nine, ten hours a day, I just stopped and I haven't played a hand of poker since. I just I can't bring to myself to go back stopped. into it. Yeah, and it, it does, you, it sucks all the fun out of it and it does just become a grind. So I'm impressed that people can do can play a game. I mean, you say StarCraft came out in 1998, I think. If people have managed to play the same game for ten years and not lost the will to live, I'm really impressed that they've been able to do that. I think I would lose interest very quickly if I tried to do it professionally. It would take, and I'd probably just rise and fall over the space of a month. I'd suddenly <laughs> rise to the top, and everyone would be telling me to come out of retirement, and I'd just never do it again. <laughs> be like Rocky. I don't know. I, I, I think I could do it. I think I think I've got probably the attention span to be able to focus and do something like that. If you know, but it's like making a living out of it, isn't it? Because you are going to have to practice every day. It's like. It's like Phil Taylor. He practices darts constantly every day for hours and hours and hours. As good a player as he is, he still does it. So, you know, it is one of those things where if you are going to do it and you do want to make a living out of it, then you're going to have to be prepared to commit quite the number of hours to just knowing the game completely inside out and developing different tactics, especially for like a StarCraft-type game. You couldn't play it professionally, AD, because every Friday you'd move on to a new professional sport that you had to play when you bought nine (laughs) new games that came out. You wouldn't stand a chance. (laughs) No, I wouldn't stand a chance. That part's true because I'm utterly crap. That's nothing to do with buying new games. It's just that I'd be too crap at it. The idea of making a living, I think, would be difficult because it doesn't pay that much. And There are a lot of online tournaments that might be like $50, maybe $100, and that's not a lot of money, considering you might have to play in the tournament itself for a couple of hours. So that's like, let's say, two hours, that's $25 an hour, which is, what, £18 an hour, which sounds great. But think about all the practice you have to do building up to that. There is Obviously, it depends as well where you live. For example, there's a player who lives in Ukraine. His name is White Ra, and he makes a comfortable living doing lots of online tournaments because in the Ukraine, the cost of living is relatively um, cheap compared to living in the UK. There are not that many UK professional gamers because it is so expensive to live here and you cannot make enough money playing these games to 
live in this country. One of the other things that caught my eye when we were exchanging emails preparing for this episode was where you just sort of casually slipped into the conversation that you used to work on Games Master. And when I told these two about it before the show, they just both got very excited. So were you on there? I mean, what, what, I mean, what did you do on it, I guess, is my question, because I don't really understand how the magical world of TV works, but I'm just excited because I used to watch that when I was a kid. Just, you know, I'm much younger than you, old man. Well, I worked on Games Master and Games World, which was a Sky TV show as a runner, which is the sort of lowest of the low, the gopher. A lot of time was getting coffees and, you know, carrying stuff around. And um, I started on Games World, which was Sky's show. This was, must have been 93. It was shown every day uh, at six o'clock. And there were basically, it was the five days a week, there were different variations. Monday, Wednesday and Friday was a competition, which was basically kids would come on, they'd play each other for a bit. And then whoever won those games would then play against videators because this was the time of gladiators. And the videators were people who generally they worked in the games industry and they were good at playing games or relatively good. And there were characters. There's one particular one I remember called Big Boy Barry. (laughs) And he was a guy called Alex Verry who still works in the game industry. He works for Mad Cats now, I think, as a sort of um, spokesman. And they would play, and it was a big sort of, it's a bit performance, a bit like wrestling in that respect. In fact, I remember they used to have, they played the games in a ring, a wrestling ring. And there were two commentators, one of whom was a comedian called Bob Mills. And the other one was, whose name I can't remember, he worked in the gaming. He was the analyst of the games. And it was it was a show that went on, I think, like a couple of years, and I worked on that. And then I moved on to, because it was made by the same company, Games Master, which was the the first show of that type and again it was the core of that show was a competition watching people play games there were reviews in this stupid bit where people asked patrick moore questions about games that was the best i remember this bit and i was going to ask you (laughs) one of my favorite memories of that game is an old lady went on it and said i've got sonic one how do i get past the ladybird at the beginning and he was just like you jump on it (laughs) and did did do you know anything about behind the scenes? Did they get people on like her on purpose just to humiliate them? Because I was oh. saying she, she had to travel down to London to film that and everything. And it was the most basic thing you could do in the game. Basically move forward and leap and that's it. And they let her on the TV. It was entertainment. The idea <laughs> of making an entertaining entertainment show. I mean, I didn't work on that bit. I only worked on the competition sides of it. Because they, they used to, but if we're going to go out to Games World again, I said Monday, Wednesday, and Friday was the competition. Tuesdays were the review show, which was, I think, presented by Jane Goldman, who is now a very well-known screenwriter. She wrote Stardust and has just written The Lady, The Woman in Black, and she's married to Jonathan Ross. So that was Tuesdays. And then Thursdays was, I can't remember what it was called, but it was a sort of, a sort of comedy show <laughs> about Big Boy Barry, who was one of the videators. And it was actually one of the first shows with David Williams in. I mean, I didn't work on that bit, so I never met him. I know nothing about that show, but it was part of the Games World thing. And then Games Master, again, they used the sort of competition between the kids playing the games and then interspersed it with reviews. And then obviously the, the Games Master bit with Patrick Moore, which probably was about, you know, making people look stupid, which television, a lot of it is about. That's what reality TV is about. It's about people looking stupid so everyone can laugh at them and feel superior. 
I, I think it worked because that's the biggest thing I remember from that show, humiliating <laughs> people who were just ask stupid questions. Why do you... Because, I mean, I used to watch that all the time when I was younger, but it doesn't really seem to be anything like that now. I mean, you're saying that these StarCraft things will get hundreds of thousands of viewers, but there doesn't seem to be anything on actual mainstream TV anymore, unless I'm completely missing it. I mean, what do you think are the reasons why it's kind of died out from where it was? I mean, we're going talking like 15, 20 years ago. I don't know. I mean, there have been attempts over the years to try and make shows about games. But I think the problem is that they've been presented wrong. I, the pre- presentation has been wrong. For example, there was obviously there was a thing called Bits, I think. And there was another TV show on ITV that I can't remember. That, <laughs> some blonde bird with spiky hair. Yes, that's it. That was that show, yeah. whatever that was called. Sorry, can you say that again? That didn't come <clears> through. It was Violet Berlin. What was the show called? I can't remember. But, um... Oh, God. Now you're asking me. I yeah. know she ended up working on um, Digitizer on Channel 4, doing the yeah. text service on there. I can't remember it now. But exactly. I think the problem is presentation. And it's difficult to try and present these things to a mass audience. So maybe the fact the internet has allowed these niche audiences, because you know, they, they don't disturb the, the major television networks, they just exist in their little world, which you knew nothing about before I mentioned it. So maybe that's one of the advantages of the internet, that these niche things have opportunities to thrive. There was, I think, Charlie Brooker did Gameswipe, which was a sort of very adult look at video games, which was quite popular, but he hasn't made anything about it since. And I think the presentation is just the problem because you try and review a game unless it's done every week like film 2011 it's it's going to be out of date by the time that it comes out and so the, the presentation of these shows is the is the issue and until people find a way and maybe sport or games as a sport is the way of presenting games to a mass audience i think for me going going back to the decline of the popularity of, of video game tv shows I think it hit that period where once the PlayStation came out and the average age of the game has sort of substantially jumped from, you know, like being teenage boys to being people in the mid to late 20s and now it's gone into people in the 30s. That wasn't a jump. So, we just all got older, AD. And now no, <laughs> took our Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying is it's like the demographic got older, but they were still aiming these TV shows at kids like they were doing in the early 90s. And that didn't really appeal to the mass market of people anymore. You know, older people didn't want the sort of more childish presentation of these shows. And when they did try to make it more suitable for older people, it just they just weren't able to do it. I don't think they knew what to do with the subject matter. So I suppose really tying it in, you can see where the likes of the internet has actually helped that because it's given people that the flexibility and the creative flexibility to actually make these sort of e-sports shows, which are going to more likely appeal to older people than they perhaps are to really young kids, you know, who just want sort of like the gimmicky shows and, you know, a bit of a laugh and what have you. Well, thanks very much, Toad Guy, for coming on. That's been awesome and we're no doubt going to have you on again at some point because I've got more brain picking that I want to do about Games Master mainly, but I'm just conscious of the fact that we've been talking for ages. So we'll wrap it up there and hopefully have you on again at some point in the future. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much.
Right, so that just about wraps things up for this week, I think. Just to remind you of all the wonderful goodies that you can find if you head over to maturegamer.co.uk. In fact, before I get into that, I've forgotten about a slightly off-site goodie. Anyone who uses Raptor, which I think we all do, we've set up a Mature Gamer podcast Raptor account. If you friend that... I'm going to find it quite interesting just because it allows us to then see what games people on that friends list have spent most time playing the previous week. And it's already surprised us in the first week. There's only five or six people on there at the moment, but the most played game in the last week is Final Fantasy 13 too. So people are listening to us when we say don't buy it. They've all gone out and got it. The thing is, the three of us are in that five or six people. I don't think any of us have been playing it, have we? (laughs) No, No, I've got it. (laughs) Yeah, so there's someone in that five or six people who has battered the hell out of that game in the last and if week. there is, why didn't they vote for Final Fantasy VII when the <laughs> list was there? <laughs> yeah, but add yourself to that. It's going to be interesting for us not only to see what you're playing, but it'll allow us to target the show a little bit more as well. Yeah, if, we've got, if we've got a significant chunk of the listeners and we can see what they're playing, we can then make sure we're playing a similar type of thing and we're talking about the sort of games that you're playing. And I think it's just a quite a handy little thing for us to be able to we'll see. We'll slowly turn into the Final Fantasy XIII podcast and you'll kill it's yourself. Lo- it's looking <laughs> like that, yeah. Um, the most played game of all time, I think, on there is Call of Duty Black Ops as well, which, yeah. oh, that just makes me unhappy. Although Forza 3 and Forza 4 are second and third. And I think Battlefield 3 and Skyrim are the other two in the top five. Once so- we get more people on there, it'll, it'll level out quite a lot, I imagine. There'll be some really obscure games on there. and I- I'm looking forward to it just everyone getting involved come on you know and we'll see what happens exactly we've also had our very first blog post on the shiny new homepage, and pagan penguin has written an awesome blog post i really like it i like the fact it's making the site look that much more professional that we've got someone who is capable of straight i mean it's like a 1500 word article we've got someone in the community who's capable of writing a 1500 word article um, and it just makes us look good so thank you very much for doing that if anyone has stuff like that that they want to submit if it's any good it will make it on the site so get it over i'm to sure us. most gamers have a thing where they want to make videos or write articles or general so any of that we like it we we Mm. want to include it as we said before it's your community as much as it is ours and if we can get loads of people together who are amateurs and stuff but they do it well it'd be awesome as long as they don't do it too well because then they'll outshine us well yeah but i mean (laughs) if if you're too good you ain't getting on which is why at the moment it's basically our podcast 80s videos and um that's about it and the odd news piece because we don't want to outshine ourselves but (laughs) yeah if if anyone's got anything you want to submit to the homepage, send it over to maturegamerpodcast at gmail.com and like i say if it's any good it will go on there because i'm always eager for new content to put on there and i just haven't got time or talent to generate it myself iTunes reviews this week have been brilliant again. We've had some really positive ones. It's all brilliant stuff. Like we always say, they make a massive difference again. We've spent most of the week on the front page of New and Noteworthy. Even better than that, for most of the week, we've been second in the video game podcast charts. Same for first. Well, it it blows my mind, really, that we've been second in that chart (laughs) ahead of all these ones that I've listened to over the years. We're beating Major Nelson. It's ridiculous. We've been higher in the video game podcast charts than Major Nelson all week, which I don't understand how that's happened, but I'm so happy that it has, and long may it continue. Yeah, thank you. Um, 
they will reach a point, as I said last week, where we're not featured on New and Noteworthy anymore. So the only place you'll find us is on that chat. So to keep us in it, make sure you're subscribing because the more people subscribe, it means you're getting the new episodes as they come out and it's not so much of a pain in the ass to go and find us. So make sure you're subscribing, keep your reviews coming. I think more subscribers makes us hotter as well on the thing. Um, Sorry, I interrupted you a bit there. Um, But yeah, the more subscribers we have puts us hotter on the what's hot category as well. So the ones on there are the ones with the most subscribers. So the more of you that hit that, the more will be bumped up that page, which means we'll be able to keep getting more people later on. Plus, apart from anything else, the positive reviews and the positive feedback we've received on Twitter and on the forum, it's just good for massaging our egos. Definitely, It it allows us to get out of bed in the morning. Steve had to get up at the crack of dawn this morning to come and record this podcast. He's not usually seen before lunchtime, but here he is recording a podcast because he knows his public adore him. Follow us on Twitter at MatureGamerUK, or you can follow us individually at I'm at Lelujo, Steve... At RB6K. And AD is complicated. Yeah, it's A1DY74. As it would be. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Mature Gamer Podcast. And as I say, pop us an email. Next week's show, at the moment, I have penciled in Skyrim and Gran Turismo 5 as games I am planning on playing in the next week. I know me and AD certainly have The Darkness 2 on the horizon as well. So if you've got anything to say about any of those games... We'll still be cracking on with Gears of War 3. Steve's still got Bioshock on the go as well. I think you've got Dead Space 2 on the pile of shame ready to crack on with as well. So there's plenty of stuff for us to be getting involved in next week. So if you've got any views on any of those games or anything else really, or if you want to come on, just let us know and we'll include feedback that's how we roll definitely more the merrier exactly but i think that's that for this week so thanks very much for listening and we shall see you next week see you next week bye see you next week guys 